Bangly Bang. On the Empire Podcast this week, we painstakingly recreate a podcast from 1994 and say hello, Favs, as the Lion King director John Favreau drops by for a chat. We know the story. There's no surprise yeah. reshoots. There's no test screenings where they say <laughs> it's a really bums out the kids when what happens to Mufasa, we should reshoot that. Like, it's the Lion King, and so that offers some protection to us. Plus, the usual news and nonsense. On the movie podcast, at no word of a lie, and this is not an advert, this is something that literally just happened in my life, got two kick-ass Marvel t-shirts for just £6. Oh. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week, I'm joined by just two colleagues of such lethal cunning, but their lethal cunning is such that I might as well be joined by three colleagues, right? Each possess the lethal cunning of one and a half colleagues. Well, now, I'm lethal, she's cunning. I'll take it. I'm joined by James Dyer. Hello. Hello, Chris. How, How are, are you? you? I'm good. I'm switching positions this week. Have you seen this? You are. Like, I'm, I'm in the, the power position. Yes. You're in the host's I chair. I am. I'm in the host chair, which, of course, I'm familiar with from the uh, Pilot TV podcast. Oh, but God. Uh, God. Thank you, though, for <laughs> clarifying that we're talking about seating positions and nothing else. Yes. Yes. That's right. We're not <laughs> doing weird, sexy positions. I'll do the only window here, Helen O'Hara. Hello. It doesn't, it doesn't come easily to you. Hey. Hey. <laughs> That's... That feels vaguely libelous. Anyway. <laughs> and it's like, I'm not sure how I feel about that. No, no, I meant, I meant, no please you endo, don't explain. Do you not find it difficult? Do you not find it hard? That is difficult to come to grips with? <laughs> oh, God. Anyway. Anyway. So, no word of a lie. I was just doing a thing in Golden Square. And then I popped into Uniqlo just to take a look at their sale, right? Because they got some kick-ass Marvel t-shirts on sale. I didn't right think now. kick-ass was Marvel. That's true. Oh shit, I bought the wrong stuff. Anyway, I picked up two t-shirts that I wanted, but they didn't have my size, you know, extra tubs. Um, <laughs> last time I was in. Right. And so I went, oh yes, they got my t-shirts in my size. I took them to the counter. Right. And the man totted them up at the thing. It's good that you're explaining the retail experience for our <laughs> listeners. I'm just taking you through it. I'm painting yes. the picture. And did you give him some kind of... I don't know, currency in exchange no, for these I, goods or services? If you let me finish the story, I will tell you what I did. <laughs> All right. So I joined a queue. And I got to the, the man. And how does a queue work? You oh start at the God. back and then okay. what happens? For Please American listeners, a queue is a line. Right. Okay. So I got to the, the head of the line. I went to the man. He rang up the T-shirts and he charged me £5.80. Oh. Now these T-shirts are meant to retail at £9.90. Good Lord. So I went, I think he's made a mistake. And in that moment, my true morality was revealed because I said nothing. (gasps) I didn't say a thing. I didn't say, excuse me, sir. I think you'll find that this purchase should come to £19.80 rather than £5.80. There was probably an extra discount that you simply hadn't noticed. The computer wouldn't lie. The computer wouldn't lie. And then here's the thing, Helen. I paid for it with Mm -hmm. Apple Pay. Other payment systems are available. Pay- I don't know. <laughs> Lots of free adverts this week. Have you even mentioned the name of the store that we uh, was in? Yes, yes, several times. Uniqlo? Mm. Yes. But they've got lots of branches all around London and many, many throughout the country. And also, I believe they have a, an online website. Welcome to the Empire Fashion <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> anyway, he gave me my receipt. It was right. Two t-shirts were £2.90 each. Now, I'm not saying this right. as, a, as, a, as an advert. I'm not saying this as a commercial. What I'm saying this is, is as a public service announcement. It is my duty as a Marvel fan and a fan of, you know, top clothing, like, you know, as in clothing that's on your top, mm. 
for people to get down there. People should know this. And quickly just ransack that store. I mean, you say this, but Helen will naturally be very against the wearing of clothing that covers your top, being a supernatural fan and therefore yes, yes. needing men yes. to be largely I naked mean, from the waist up. They wear so many layers. It's it's just what I just can't understand. It's like so many. Like if we were talking about topless men, this we're going to have the chance to do that this week when we talk we about are? one of the big trailers. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. We are? We definitely are. Okay. Uh, but this is Sam and Dean, right, from Supernatural, okay? So Correct. the reason why they wear so many layers is because their nipples are Olympic standard nipples. I don't know what you that would even this? mean. Like they've what? been trained; their nipples have been trained to a very, very high standard. But like, what? What's trained to what? Trained to protrude. That's what. That's literally what the male nipple just, does. It 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 is just there as a decoration, as an ornament. You can hang things on it. Uh, you can. You know, that's that's literally all you can so do. So you're with saying it. they wear a lot of plaid to cover up pokies. Yes. Huh. It's very cold in the world of supernatural. It is I'm actually saying. cold because you know Vancouver, but Vancouver I do... and evil, mm. and evil also evil. Yeah. Well, welcome both to the Empire Podcast uh, in association with Uniqlo, apparently. So, how, how, <laughs> and, yeah, and, and nipples. And, and Apple Pay and nipples. Um, how are you both? Great. Yeah, right. yeah, so, uh, in terms of, can I just say, in terms of public service announcements and yes. fashion, uh-huh. I've been to some exhibitions this week uh-huh. that I could recommend. You, uh, yeah, I went to Dior finally at the V&A, yeah. which is very good if you like pretty dresses. Like, they have one that Lupita Nyong'o wore and one Ooh. that Charlize Theron wore and people like that. And I went to the Mary Quant exhibition, which is basically yes. Terry's style in an exhibition. Genuinely, 100% like Terry White. Just More, Or like 1960s yeah, kind of like. kind of mod. It's cool. Mm. I also went to What do the, they call it? A quant of solace? <laughs> no. Just Mary Quant of Solace? No. No. Um, I also went to the Oliver Eliasson at the Tate Modern and can recommend that very highly. It's very Instagrammable. Look at you with I the know. culture and the Hashtag learning and culture. the stuff. And I saw Andrew Scott in Present Laughter, which made me laugh a lot. Very good. Well done. Andrew Scott, of course, formerly of the Empire Podcast. Indeed, yeah. I, I believe you, it's you his... Have a- Bustling social life, Helen. Well, here's the thing. I have this fancy friend, and when she's in town, I go do cultural stuff with her. Mm-hmm. And she was in town for two days this week, so there you I go. left the house once this week. Oh, well done. Yeah, I'm, I didn't do it's anything. Well above average. I failed in my life. Hmm. Yeah. So here's oh. a question. Okay. Uh, in fact, so last week um, when we started the podcast, we realized we didn't actually have a question. So I went to Twitter and I said, hey, Twitter, we've started recording this week's Empire podcast. I'm actually quoting verbatim here, but don't have a question. Go now. And Twitter did go, Len, mm-hmm. and send in loads of questions. But Some of them came us, too us slow, being right? us, we yeah. started talking about our own stuff and we didn't get any of them in the end, Brilliant. as far as I can recall. So we're going to do a very, very quick fire round because we've got a lot of uh, movie news to cover. So here we go. Okay. At Kakapo Jane, Jane Nelson, mm-hmm. who uh, can be found sometimes, I believe, working in this building and also for one of our terrifying foes. Mm. Wow. Now, I'm not going to say the, the name of the magazine that she... Terrifying foe, eh? T-F-A? It's SFX. So, here we go. Best Hollywood Hellraiser in honour of Rip Torn. Uh, I mean, define Hollywood because most of them were British or Irish. Well, Errol Flynn, right? Yeah, in Hollywood terms, sure. Er, so, yeah. Errol Flynn, massive Hellraiser. Mm-hmm. I'm saying um, Oliver Hopper. Reed. Oliver Reed, Peter O'Toole. Hopper, yeah. But again, you know, Oliver Reed, Peter O'Toole, not Hollywood yeah. strictly, you know. Same with Richard I mean, Burton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I But mean, he lived in parts yeah, of Hollywood. Yeah, they've been in Hollywood movies. They've all formed in Hopper. Hollywood. Yep. 
Dennis Hopper, he's a good shout. Matthew McConaughey, lest we forget the naked bongoing. The naked bongoing. bongoing. That may propel him to the top of the list, actually, because (laughs) as much as Oliver Reed disrupted several chat shows with (laughs) his drunken antics, quite brilliantly, in fact, and was a terribly, terribly, terribly scary person, no one's ever been found playing naked bongos. That we know of. That we know Um, of. How about our friend Nick DeSemlin's book, Wild and Crazy Guys? That had some pretty hair-raising stories about John yeah, Belushi. Yeah, John Belushi got up to all kinds yep. of shit. Mm. I thought you were going to say Nick DeSemlin. Yeah. I was like, what? Nick DeSemlin really? is pretty wild. He's a real hellraiser. I sometimes I hear hell he raiser. sometimes goes to bed after 10pm. <laughs> Actually, hey, I don't think he does. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any great hellraisers right now? We're not encouraging this sort of behaviour. We're not no. condoning it by any stretch of the well, imagination. Lindsay Lohan had her moment in the hellraising sun, didn't she? I guess she did. Mm. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's become more difficult since the advent of TMZ. I think it's become more difficult since the advent of smartphones. Higher stakes now. Mm. It is more frowned upon, and I also feel like it genuinely just happens less. I feel like this generation of Hollywood stars are, generally speaking, healthier, saner, and less given to too many tipples than generations past, I would say, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it turns out, Chris, that you and I were ahead of the curve because millennials are like 30% teetotal. And, you know, the older generations... Well, what does that mean? They're, they're teetotal 30% of the time? No, like, or 30% apparently, but millennials are teetotal? Apparently, yes, the latter, which mm. is amazing. But and they're even, all massive heroin addicts, right? Huge heroin addicts, yeah. yeah, it's sad. Can't get enough of the horse. <laughs> well done on knowing drug slang. I'm massive on my drug slang. Wow. Cake is a made-up drug and all that sort of stuff. Uh, yeah, we were we were definitely ahead of the curve. Mm. I, I often believe I'm a trendsetter and a trailblazer. Uh, let me see. Here we have a question. Greg Jenner. Greg Jenner, the noted historian and contributor to Horrible Histories and all that sort of stuff, asks, is movie lower status than film? Mm. We have had this conversation in the office well, back in, in the, the day. In the interchangeability of the words. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, frankly, as writers, synonyms kind of save you from repetition in sentences, and mm. I tend to just interchange them to mix things up when I write. But is there a different? I mean, obviously, a film literally is something shot on a film, which mm. isn't a thing anymore. So, unless you're Christopher Nolan, so everything's really movies. But the movie is almost more archaic because it's an abbreviation of moving pictures, mm-hmm. which feels a little bit like an old, you know, Zoe trope. Yeah, it's a moving picture. Oh yes. Oh, lovely. Look at the um, animation. I don't think, well, I think they can be generally be used interchangeably, but you probably would be a little bit slower to call it like a, I don't know, a Coen Brothers movie than a Coen Brothers film, mm. like instinctively. Well, in your case, it would be a Coen Brothers film. Yes, it so. would. Yeah, that would be the correct word, the correct pronunciation. Thank <laughs> yeah. you very much. Well, there are actually people who just pronounce movie as movie. They don't like add syllables into it. It's not like movie, movie, or it's not like movie-um. that. Movie, movie, or movie. They don't do that. <laughs> One can only ask why. Yeah, it's a bit of a shame. It's a sad thing. But um, uh, yeah, look, I think there is this perception that film is a bit more, is a bit closer to cinema, yeah. isn't it, as a term of it's art. It's hoity-toity, isn't it? Yes, a little bit. And, and movie is more things that have explosions in. Yeah. Um, but Popcorn-munching idiots yeah, like movies. I, th- I think a lot of the time you can use them interchangeably, and I think sometimes it's a bit more interesting to... Mix them up. But also it's cultural, isn't it? Americans use movie. They don't generally use film as much. Like mm. that's more of an, an Anglo thing. You shoot on film, you don't shoot on movie. That's mm. true. There you go. So deep. Settle that one. Uh, Brian C. Roll on the old Twitter machines. Odyssey Art oh, yes. Torch is yes. his 
Handel Very good artist. asks, if John Ratzenberger can be considered Pixar's good luck charm and Alan Tudyk is Disney Animations, mm-hmm. who's your favourite good luck charm for a series of movies or for a certain director? Like Samuel L. Jackson or Robert Downey Jr., I guess, for Avengers. I don't know well, who's these the people who luck. keep propping up in the uh, Yeah, in although the Marvel nobody's, nobody's done Clint, all of you're them. You're Clint Howard's. And you're, uh, <laughs> Clint Howard is a very good call, actually. Greg Grunberg. Greg, Greg Grunberg. Greg yeah. Grunberg. In J.J. Abrams' movies, in that case. Yes, And Clint Howard, of course, in the movies of Ron Howard. You're Bruce Campbell's for Sam Raimi? Uh Uh-huh. That's all I got. (laughs) It took me ages. I was like, what is it? If chins could kill with a a chin and the... What's his name? Bruce! Bruce Campbell. Bruce Campbell. Yeah, groovy. Yeah, that's it. Johnny Depp was a a good luck charm for Tim Burton, wasn't he? Ages. And now he's a bad luck charm for (laughs) for audiences. Uh, Indeed. So, you know, that's turned slightly, as these things do. Now, Bruce Campbell was going to be my answer because he's awesome. Uh, He should be the star of every single Sam Raimi film, but he isn't. And he's not in every Sam Raimi film. He doesn't Mm. cameo in every single one. But uh, I always remember feeling really sad when he just turns up at the end of Darkman. He's probably at his most handsome and movie starish in that one shot at the end of Darkman. And I just look at him going, oh, man, he should have been the biggest star of the 1990s. And he wasn't. Still had a great career and he's very, very happy and all that sort of stuff. But, uh, oh, well, yes, probably Bruce Campbell. That is mine and James's answer. A couple more very, very quickly. Technically Ron asks, which film would be most improved by Nick Cage playing every single role in it? (laughs) Hmm. The women. I'm kidding. (laughs) I just wanted to think of the most unlikely thing. Don't look now. (laughs) <laughs> Can you imagine just at the end? Oh no! At the end, when that little red cloaked figure mm-hmm. turns around mm-hmm. and it's Nick Cage, that would be terrifying. Wouldn't that be mm. terrifying? Yeah. Or the end? I'm, I'm going to spoil a couple of movies here. The end of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, when <gasps> Nicholas Cage in the Veronica Cartwright role thinks that he has evaded the attentions of the pod people, and then sees Nicholas Cage <gasps> in the Donald Sutherland role across the street and waves at himself, and then Nick. Sutherland Cage thing turns around and goes hey wouldn't that be awesome here's an idea right being John Malkovich but everybody's played by Nicolas Cage but it's still called being John Malkovich (laughs) and he's playing John Malkovich obviously oh yeah fully on board with that yeah so uh, the answer is obviously every film would be improved if Nick Cage played every single role in it but uh, yes I I will accept that one being John Malkovich there we go final question and it comes from Bob Sherfield. Bob Sherfield asks, should cinema chains be encouraged to show independent shorts before main features? Oh, that would be nice. Um, I think it would be nice if they chose to do it. I think economically there are reasons why they don't. There are reasons why we have to sit through half an hour of adverts before every film, and that's because that's part of their business model. And if they then had to show an extra, you know, 10-minute even film I think people might get restless especially if you were then showing it before something you know two and a half hours three hours long so I think so it's a lovely idea during during no. the film just splice it just into splice, the film just put the project them over the Without top of warning. each other over the top of each other like yeah, yeah. I like that that'd be I, like I mean that, that would, really would be experimental wouldn't it uh, um, it would be good I, I think this would be a uh, admirable initiative but here's the problem everyone would just time their arrival to miss it mm. It was just kind of what I do right now anyway. I always... With the uh, adverts? Yeah, I go, okay, so that film starts at five o'clock, but it's going to be 20 minutes of adverts, so I won't turn up until 20 past five. Yeah. Mostly works. Sometimes you miss... Sometimes you catch the tail end of a, tra- of a trailer or whatever, or, mm. but you know, I've never missed the beginning of a movie apart from all those times when I have. Jimbo, what do you think about this? 
Great. Thank you. So if you want to have your question read out in the Emperor Podcast, as our cast of thousands found out to the credit, you could do so find a number of methods. We're on Twitter, of course, as at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast. You can Facebook us at Empire Magazine as well, or you can email us podcast at empireonline.com. And hey, I will take this opportunity to do a couple of quick plugs for things that are coming up. So we have a live show in London on the 14th of September Woo-woo. as part of the London Podcast Festival, and we would very much like to see you all there. Uh, so if you want to get tickets to that, it's going to be a lot of fun and we're going to have a great guest. That is a Chris Hewitt guarantee. <laughs> you haven't booked anyone yet, have you? It'll be me in a fake wig and moustache at this at this point, but let's see how it goes. Uh, you can go to www. Wait, I've done it again. www.kingsplace.co.uk and if you get uh, tickets for us and then two other shows or more, then you get a 15% discount. So kingsplace.co.uk for that. That's going to be a lot of fun. And the other thing I'm going to plug is if you want to have the Empire podcast recorded in your house, you can do so. <laughs> can I have it recorded in my house so I don't actually have to go anywhere? And no. If, and, if well, you, yes, you can. Everyone yes, else. you need to win this auction. So I should, I should bid so that I don't have to get out of bed essentially to do this. That is how an auction works. Yeah. And we could do. Wait, we wait, could wait, record wait, the wait. podcast in my bedroom. Wait, I like wait, this. wait! I think we should veto bedrooms. I don't, I think it should be in a hard no. Oh, is, is on it not? Bedrooms. Is it not that kind of auction? I, I, that seems. I mean, strange. my understanding is we were basically being, you know, pimped out. Yeah. I don't think that's. The no, case. I don't. I don't think so. Um, no, there's, there's disappointing mishaps just waiting to to happen. <laughs> there would be like carry on up the Empire podcast. Let's not do that. It'd be like, James, your microphone is feeding back, and you'd be going, well, what microphone? And then it'd be... <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Can I get a sound test? Yeah. One, two, one, two. One, two. And uh, <laughs> it'd be just chaos. Yeah. Anyway, so... Unlike normal. As part of a, a wonderful auction for a very, very, very good cause at the moment, uh, lots of Bauer Media magazines and outlets are putting up stuff for people to to bid on. And one of the things we have... Well, the thing we have submitted is the Empire Podcast. You can have the Empire Podcast recorded in your home or your school or your workplace. A couple of caveats. You have to be 16 years or over to bid. You must have permission from your place of recording. And the winner and recording destination must be within Great Britain. Uh, So, sorry, Northern Ireland. Outrageous. It is outrageous. Sorry, Northern Ireland. Sorry, Ireland. Sorry, America. Sorry, Australia. Sorry. Okay, there's a lot of sorry, countries. Oh, sorry, the okay. Maldives. Sorry. Oh, yeah, the Maldives. Oh, okay, darn. I'm adding one more caveat. <laughs> we will allow the winning bid to come from the Maldives, but you have to pay for our flights and accommodation. <laughs> That's fair. It is fair. That's fair. It's totally fair. Fair is a strong word. Okay. So the bidding ends on July 28th. The bidding at the moment stands at a measly £300. Surely we can do better than that, people. Surely we can get this thing upwards of four figures or even above. I mean, I'll bid 500 just to not come into work. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> Dedicated on. as ever. You could pay absolutely. that much money. <laughs> I'll save up. So yeah, we, we would love to come to your house, wherever it is. Uh, somewhere weird, like... Watford or yeah, or or to somewhere in in London that would be nice ideally but so do go bid and we will we will come and record a, a podcast but remember no handshakes and no eye contact Helen especially <laughs> is very very clear on that point uh-huh yeah very very much so I'm very fancy mm-hmm. very fancy uh, th- honestly when Helen flies into an eye contact rage oh my you God. do not want to be in the same room it's terrifying it is terrifying anyway we'll get to our guest uh, in just a few minutes but first off it is time for us oh you know what I should probably tell people where they can go 
I'll tell I people mean, where I can they can tell go. You where you can go. <laughs> uh, if you want to go and do that, you go to 32auctions.com and you search for the Auction of Awesomeness. And then you search further within that for the Empire Podcast and then you enter your bid. And then on the July 28th, you'll know whether you've won at 3 p.m. BST. Maybe you so. should retweet it today so people can find it. I will retweet it uh, today. Helen will remind me to do that uh, once you're listening to this podcast. In fact, at the exact moment you're listening to this podcast, oh my check my Twitter feed. It'll be up there. That's a Chris Hewitt guarantee. Right, let's have some movie news. Thor 4, Thor 4. Well, here's ah, the thing. Thor 4, or here's, just Thor with a U. Well, here's the thing. Mm. We're doing this before Comic-Con. Yeah. Ah, uh, yes. We're recording this on Thursday. The podcast is out on Friday. The Marvel Studios panel at Comic-Con is on the Saturday. So you're saying it could all be out of date by Saturday. It will all be out of date. Okay. It will be all So we should just not talk about any of that. We shouldn't talk about any of it. Okay. Except for Thor 4. Thor yes. 4, Thor 4! <laughs> Could not be more excited by the fact that Taika Waititi will return to write, to direct, and to star in the film, which I'm calling oh. an unofficial Korg biopic. You're, you're, yes. you're, adding, wow. uh, you're adding something. I am adding. Deal. I'm saying Korg will be there. It will be uh-huh. all Korg. In fact, it will be mainly Korg, uh, and it will just be called Korg. Korg 4. Anyway, I think James is jumping the gun slightly by putting Korg into this movie. There's no guarantee that Korg will be in this movie, but if Korg, but come on. If Korg isn't in this movie, we will riot. But yes. yes, and this isn't officially confirmed yet. This is uh, this is news that broke this week at The Hollywood Reporter, and I imagine people at Marvel are actually not that happy about the fact that this news broke before their big grand Reveal. unveiling on, mm. on Saturday, because I imagine that would have been uh, up front, not least because I've got a feeling that we'll be seeing Thor 4 quicker than we might expect. Mm. So, the scuttlebutt is that Taika Waititi is indeed returning to write and direct Thor 4, and as a result, his Akira live-action adaptation over at Warner Brothers is being put on hold. Not shelved, but being put on hold. And that apparently, he was kind of circling both projects. He was actively working on Akira. They were beginning to crew up. They were beginning to scout locations and whatnot. Uh, But then the start date for Thor 4 came closer and closer and closer and closer Uh. to the Akira date, and so something had to give, and in the end he went... He decided to go with Thor 4, which also gives him more time to crack the nut that is Akira. Cool. So that's where we are. Okay. So what do we think about this? And he has Jojo Rabbit in the meantime, obviously. He does, but I think that's pretty much done. Yeah, that's pretty much done. Mm. Uh, I think this is phenomenal. I think Marvel felt that they had just cracked Thor with the third film, and therefore it's only really kind of getting into his stride now. I feel like it took a, a little bit of time for them to figure out what Chris Hemsworth's strengths as the character really were. And I felt like Thor f- Ragnarok felt like it got that a mm-hmm. little bit. And I'm, I'm so so excited to see what they do next in the context of everything that we saw in Endgame and Infinity War as well. Also, there may be a sense that Taika may feel that he only just began to crack the nut mm. that is Thor as well. Because he, uh, as he talked about on our screenwriting special podcast with him, which you can still here right now if you search for this afterwards a really interesting half hour he talks about how he didn't get a writing credit on Thor Ragnarok and yet he wrote a lot of Thor Ragnarok but the WJ's rules on this this stuff is just utterly arbitrary I mean we'll talk about Lion King later it's very weird yes we will yeah it is very 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 strange so he didn't get a credit he got a story by credit so what do you have to do to get a credit because he he wrote loads of dialogue Uh apparently you have to I think it's something like you have to write you have to prove that you've written 40% of the film but for some reason dialogue doesn't count what? 
Yeah. It's, so you yeah, have it's to, hard you ha- to do it just on dialogue. If you yeah. have to prove that you have taken... So the previous draft, you have had to inject 40%, roughly 40% of new stuff. So uh-huh. you can't just take what the previous writers have written and then just lay your dialogue in over the top. Even though your dialogue is a one-off and idiosyncratic and very, very much Taika Waititi, you can't just do that. Uh, so that that utterly sucks. So perhaps he's looking at this as a chance to attack Thor mm. for from the off. Interestingly now, we have to enter into a little discussion which may or may not spoil Avengers Endgame for certain people. So treat the next two or three minutes as yet another mini Avengers Endgame spoiler special. Okay? Us? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> it's so qu- it's so amazing different. how quickly I can segue into a mini Avengers Endgame spoiler <laughs> special at any walk of my life, at any point. I could be walking around, I could be shopping with my wife. Uniqlo earlier. <laughs> Uniqlo. <laughs> it's like, You're like, isn't this t-shirt rather indicative of that moment in Endgame? One of the t-shirts I bought, of course, was a Captain America t-shirt, you know. But Let's see? Yeah, wow. it is what it is. Anyway, here we go. Spoiler sure. special happening right now. Boom. So... Last time we saw Thor was in Avengers Endgame and he was getting on to the Benatar mm-hmm. and he was flying off with the Guardians of the Galaxy mm-hmm. or as he said, the Asgardians of the Galaxy. And the assumption from a lot of people was that the next time we saw Chris Hemsworth as Thor would be in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Right. I've got a feeling it's going to be the other way around. I think Whoa. we're going to see the Guardians of the Galaxy in this movie at least until Taika Waititi gets bored with it and then sends Thor off on his own thing. Right. And here's my question. The Loki TV show, where does that fit in? I don't know. Because I feel like it might, but then it might not, because Taika, judging by Ragnarok, has no time for Loki's buffoonery and will not sanction it. So are we talking Loki or are we not? Are we talking Valkyrie and the rest of the Asgardians or are we not? I agree yeah. with James. I think the, uh, Korg is likely to turn up, but I don't know who and else Meek. is going to be in there. And, and Meek. Meek, obviously, obviously. Of Korg course, Meek. Meek, yes. Um, uh, yeah, it's going to be... It's going to be very, very interesting to see what happens. Is Thor still going to be the dad bod Thor that mm. you know that we saw in in Avengers Endgame? What what's his story? What is he looking for? You know, at the end of Endgame, he was he was off basically in search of adventure. That's basically he had decided that he no longer wanted to be the king of Asgard and he wanted to go off and, and he was truly happiest in a kind of seafaring mm. kind of way. Yeah. So is that is that what Taika wants, for example? Because maybe I think we saw that Tyke had, had no truck necessarily with where the Dark World left him at the beginning of Ragnarok. He got rid of that shit really, really quickly yeah. and then moved on to do what he wanted to do. So I'm wondering if maybe he will jettison some of the stuff really quickly, which is maybe why this won't be a full-on Guardians Thor team-up. Mm-hmm. In terms of the dad bod Thor, I don't know that they'll stick with that for the whole film, which is not to say that I don't think it would be a good idea. I think it would, but I don't think that they will. No, but I don't either. But given that there were, there were jokes made in Infinity War about Star-Lord's weight, you know, one sandwich away kind of lines. Yeah, one sandwich away from fat. Right. Yeah. I feel like there might be a little competition thing there between them. It could be a cute little character beat again. But... Uh, yeah, I don't. Ah, oh, hmm, this is hard. I don't know. I, I'm <laughs> I'm really excited to hear what's what's coming up on Saturday. So yeah, so my and which means this 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 could be completely and utterly out of date. But here's my theory. Okay, we're out of the end game spoiler special. We're back in. We're back into the regular podcast. Should yep. we make some educated guesses? Sure. Should we make some predictions about what this might be? At the moment, there are only two MCU movies dated for next year. Mm-hmm. We reckon that's because Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three was due to launch next year but then got pushed back 
And instead of rushing to fill the vacuum really, really quickly with another film, they've they've decided to push that back to say 2022, maybe even 2023 at the latest. That's my feeling. Okay. Wow. But I also have a feeling that I would not be surprised if Thor 4 was the big November release next year. Who's to say that Taika has been working on the script for some time? Not me. Who's to say that they're not further ahead with development and pre-production and production on a number of movies than... God, I, I think that's right. true. Yeah, I think that's true. I don't think we're going to have to wait that long for major Marvel releases. I loved Ragnarok so much and I enjoyed Thor so much in Infinity War and Endgame, especially Endgame. Uh, I, I just, more, more, more now, more now. All the, all <laughs> yeah. the Thor, all the now, give me Thor. <laughs> all the time. Yeah. Okay, I keep saying here's the thing, but here is the thing. At the moment, you'd expect those two release dates next year to be filled by Black Widow mm-hmm. yeah. and The Eternals. Yeah. Neither of which are nailed on to get anywhere close to a billion. Now, you know, never write off the Disney yeah, Marvel marketing yeah. machine or the need to see these films when they come out. But I would say that, you know... They're if, new, untested properties. Precisely. Mm-hmm. If they're going to try, you know... It, you, in theory, you'd think that probably there would be pressure from the top for them to hit a billion dollar grocer at least once every year. This year, as a matter of fact, they've done it three times and, mm. you know... This is going to be a big year for them to follow up. So I think they're going to have to have a big known quantity at some point next year. Makes sense. And that will either be Thor 4, which of course is the first time they've actually done a, a part 4, and Game Aside. It's mm. the first time any of their sort of mini franchises has hit a part 4. And that's mm-hmm. interesting in itself, I think. I think it'll be Thor 4, or Doctor Strange 2, or even Black Panther 2. I think that they will... Wow. I think... And this is, I could be completely wrong, but I think they will they will announce something that we don't expect to be finished by next year. I mean, that they'd have to be just about to start shooting yeah. and, and pretty far through pre-production and pre-vis. And um, I think the effects on Thor Ragnarok were quite time-consuming, I don't think is too strong a word. And I wonder if they will be able to hit that tar- I mean they would be able to hit that target they'd, they'd throw money at it but that could be an ask and I, I like I believe there was a single shot on Thor Ragnarok that went through something like 900 iterations that's a lot of iterations for one of thousands of shots but that's to say we as I say as you said mm. we don't know how far along they are with this yeah so maybe they're maybe they're well into it already yep what do you think, Jimbo? What's your what's your grand prediction? I feel like it might be asking a lot. I really, really desperately want it to be true, though. Like I really want to see a Thor movie next year, but I I, I, I worry. I don't see them leaving next year. Just Black Widow and the Eternals. I no, just I'm with you. I'm with you. But then equally, you got to think about this from a larger company point of view. Since Disney own every single film that comes out next year, there's probably slightly less pressure for these ones to necessarily whack over a billion because it's not as if they won't have other billion dollar movies coming out. So. Maybe you're right. Maybe they do need an established franchise. Hmm. I don't think Black Widow is necessarily a, you know, that riskier film. I think Eternals is a risky film. I don't think Black Widow is a risky film, but I don't think it's a billion dollar gross. No, I think, I, think yeah, done, maybe. I think they've done what they often do with that kind of film. Partly female-led, but also a spy movie. Mm. And it's probably a cheaper, smaller entry into the franchise. I would imagine. Yeah. I know nothing. I, I would imagine know. too, yeah. since they haven't even confirmed they're making it at the moment. So, mm. I think that's going to come. I think yeah. that's going to come. They might mention it on the weekend, for example. So maybe Scarlett Johansson is playing all the roles and that's saving them a bit of money. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah. We may need to do a top-up to this on Saturday or Sunday. 
Yeah, or Monday or, or Monday. Tuesday uh, or, or something. Yeah, yeah. We'll, 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 so maybe week. maybe look out. We'll maybe we'll even week. do a special podcast. Who knows? Who who knows? We shall see. Maybe Feige will announce nothing. Maybe it'll be <laughs> the biggest disappointment in the history of Hall H. But I don't think so. The last time I was there, the Marvel panel was the greatest thing in history. It was the greatest thing. It in was history. the it was the Loki coming out in costume and character. oh, you saw that live. Yeah. Oh, oh it was man. incredible. Did he call you all mewling quims? Uh, nobody did tell everybody to kneel. And, and you people did. thought about it. <laughs> I had a laptop. Obviously, I was working, James. Ah, yes. Jesus. Um, and you went, not for men like you. <laughs> there are always men like you. Exactly. Um, and then they filled that up with Guardians, and then they filled that up by announcing the title of, well, Age of Ultron. But, you know, hey-ho. You win some, you lose A title. A oh, title. my God. Oh, my a God. title. What I wouldn't give for a title right now, that'd be amazing, wouldn't it? Oof. Do you think they'll announce anything X-Men and Fantastic Four? No. No. I think they will. Okay. I'll see. Yeah, we will. Okay. Then. We'll see. It would be okay. a big yeah. finish. It would be a really big finish if they did. The place would I, go I nuts. don't think they can announce something X-Many at this point, can they? While the, you know, the dust of... Yeah, the dust still hangs in yeah. there. The like, like a bad smell, it's still lingering. Like, you I, know. I wonder how far along they are with certain projects that we don't know about. I, I just think with X-Men, they've got to leave it a little while. They've, there's got to be a period of decompression. They can. They can leave it as long as they want. They can announce X-Men for 2023 That's if they want. That's very true. But what, what, if they, uh, what if they ended their, their big panel presentation where we're expecting them to announce the next four or five years, right? Yeah. We're expecting mm. them to announce Black Widow, The Eternals, Shang-Chi, uh, Doctor Strange 2, Black Panther 2, Captain Marvel 2, and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Am I missing anything? Thor 4. And Thor 4, of course. Yeah. And then maybe one or two surprises Spider-Man? that we don't know about. And another Spider-Man movie. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which we, Spider-Man it, Home from Home. Spider-Man... Homeschool is what, home we, school. Is what we decided Spider-Man, on. The, uh, Spider-Man Home Skillet. Home Skillet. Oh, I like Home that. Slice. Spider-Man yeah. Home Slice, where he Spider-Man, teams up with Juno. What's crack in Home Slice? <laughs> oh, wait. Yeah. Hang on. Home Slice like that great pizza place. Yeah. Oh. oh, those pizzas. Oh, I haven't been to Home Slice in ages. Neither have I. Hey, Helen, go to Home Slice. Why don't I throw on my new Uniqlo t-shirt that I just <laughs> oh picked God. up and we'll go pick up a slice at Home Slice. Sounds How much was it? Just a fiver? <laughs> you can get that what? on Apple even, Pay. Even less. <laughs> Are you great. aware there's a phenomenon of influencers <laughs> pretending that they're being paid for things in order to establish what? themselves as influencers? That's ridiculous. Because I feel like you're close to that right now. No, I'm going to get into my Ferrari <laughs> at the end of this and uh, drive home to my house in the Hamptons. <laughs> it's a hell of a drive. Yeah, it's a hell of a car, clearly. <laughs> hey, can we talk about any other news? No. no. How about Harry Styles? Yeah, Harry Styles is apparently in talks, or l- rumoured at least, for Prince Eric yeah. and the Little Mermaid. I don't know. I mean, Prince Eric is the hottest Disney prince of that era. I, I genuinely don't even think it's close. I, um, I, I totally is agree. He the, is he the sort of Dean Winchester of... Uh... Wait a minute. Hmm. Simba. No. He's Simba's a prince? He's also a lion. I feel like that's relevant. And yet, I see many people all the time on the Twitters saying that they would fuck Robin Hood, the fox. That's so that's very true. Why not Simba? I well, don't get that. What he's is anthropomorphized that? the fox? That's like, easy for you to say. He wears, <laughs> genuinely, if I tried to say that, I would have stumbled. <laughs> he, he anthropomorphized. What? Right? The fox is different because he wears clothes and walks upright and is not like entirely fox-like. Whereas Simba is a lion, right? Please tell me it's right. I don't know. Nala's pretty hot. Oh, my God. Anyway, what we can all agree is that Prince Eric and the Little Mermaid is very handsome. Harry Styles is also very handsome. He's not my particular cup of tea, but He's no people Saint seem Malik. to like him. That's true. He's not the most handsome out of One Direction, is he? No. But, like, they're a handsome bunch, so, like, the, the bar is pretty high there anyway. Like the Emperor podcast? Not unlike that. <laughs> yes, sure. 
But anyway, so this is the rumour. Harry Styles for Prince Eric. It is the rumour. And Rob Marshall is uh, populating his film very, very nicely. Mm. We talked previously about how Halle Bailey has been cast as uh, Ariel. And we talked about how Melissa McCarthy was going to play Ursula and how Aquafina was Scuttler. Scuttle. Scuttle. The, I'm not, the, I'm not familiar the, the gull. much with the film. The gull, the gull yes. And I think Jacob Tremblay, Jacob Tremblay is, is flounder. flounder. Yes. And there's now rumours of Javier Bardem as yes. King Triton. The ruler of Under the Sea. <laughs> the That's ruler right. of Under the Sea. Yes. Under the Sea. Uh, so this is a good cast. It's a good cast. Um, I don't think yeah. they've released, uh, they don't think they've announced a release date, so maybe there'll be a big mm-hmm. Disney live action animation adaptation isn't, isn't there a D23 coming up? The there Disney, is. The there is. Disney con- yeah. convention, so I imagine that kind of thing mm. might be announced. Are you excited about Little Mermaid? So my position on the Disney live action remakes is we don't need them. Mm. That said, some of them have been very good, like Cinderella and Jungle Book. I yep. very much enjoyed. Um, and they've all been fine, at least. So um, this one is my favourite of that era of Disney. And I love it a lot. And I would like to see it, if it's be done, Tour well, tour done well. So I'm hoping <laughs> for the best. Hmm. Um, but I'm, I just, but in, in principle, I don't think we need these things. Because it, no, it should, it should be one of the best. Because uh, hell and it's better down where it's wetter under the sea. That's that's true. Yes, uh, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, that's, I'm, that's wildly inappropriate. <laughs> it did sound wrong, didn't well, it? It sounded quite wrong. See, in my pure unsullied mind that didn't even cross it wow uh, no. holy cow my friend You've read changed. the room <laughs> I'm just you know I'm just <laughs> like, singing the song I was not adding weird sexual undertones or overtones or whatever it is you were or just owning. tones, or just yeah. tones. <laughs> okay. uh, I was just trying to sing under the sea hey speaking of the sea uh, the trailer came out for Red Sea. Good segue. Sea. Thank you. That is good. Segway? Oh dear. Um, the trailer came out for the Red Sea Diving Resort. I haven't seen this yet. You haven't. This is Chris Evans with a beard, right? This is Chris Evans, not just with a beard, it's the beard. What do you mean the much. beard? Well, so there's Chris Evans's beard, is a very handsome beard, obviously he's a very handsome man. That is different from Captain America's beard, as I've established many, many times in this podcast. Captain America's beard is a very different and much hotter beard. I can't explain why, it just is. Well, this, she's a very talented actress. <laughs> this beard, this Chris Evans beard, is the closest we've yet seen to the Captain America beard on Chris Evans. But with longer hair? Slightly longer hair, but it's still got that flop to it that Captain America's beard hair had. And where did you see this trailer, Helen? Was it on uh, Pornhub by any chance? <laughs> <laughs> it might as well have been because there's totally gratuitous toplessness. I feel like we've come back to the Under the Sea song. I'm yeah. very, very concerned by this. Very gratuitous toplessness <laughs> from both Chris Evans and the almost equally hot Michael Husman. Houseman. Houseman, right, mm. okay. So I don't know what to think, really, but I will definitely be watching it on Netflix when it comes out. Have you tried not objectifying men? I feel very uncomfortable right now. <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm just saying it looks like a fun film. I feel dirty. And not really fun is probably the wrong word. They're helping refugees escape from a sort of genocidal situation. By... So that's like the opposite of fun. It's really the opposite of fun. But they're they're helping them escape via a fake Red Beard? Sea diving resort. Ah, Yes, it is the last resort, if you will. Hmm. And this is an action movie, isn't it? And this will be on Netflix. It and... will be on Netflix at the end of this month, 31st of July. What? Yeah. Um, really good cast around them. Ben Kingsley, Greg Kinnear, uh, Michael Kenneth Williams. Really, really good people. So, yeah, fingers crossed for it. So that's a good thing for Netflix. There's also a good thing for Amazon. Mm. Which, of course, I will be serving for the other podcast, but let's mention it here as well, because it is Jack Reacher. Amazon <laughs> are adapting Jack Reacher as a series, Christopher McQuarrie is involved in an executive producer role. Ooh. 
Ooh. I'm pretty certain it won't be Tom Cruise. But uh, how do we feel about this, Chris? As a long-time Reacher fan like myself, are you happy? Are you cautiously optimistic? Are you outraged? I'm not outraged. I am cautiously optimistic. I'm kind of sad in a way because I, you know, no shock, I prefer movies to TV and films to TV That's a good for that point. matter. You're never going to watch this, are you? Of course I'm going to watch it. No, you won't. Okay, so this is a uh, Jack Reacher show that's going to be on Amazon and it is going to be showrun, I think that's a word, by mm-hmm. Nick Santora, uh, who isn't Joe Pesci's character from, from Casino, but instead the guy who was also the creator and showrunner on Scorpion, uh, which I've only seen a couple of episodes of and was absolutely straight down the middle, bog standard, average, procedural. Yep. That gives me pause. The involvement of Lee Child, Don Granger and Christopher McQuarrie as executive producers gives me hope, but again, this could be just... Token roles, these could be mm. just something that, you know, they're maybe not that involved with the show after all. My main worry is that adapting Reacher for a TV show seems absolutely fine. It seems perfect. You could almost do the Bosch uh, model, which is you take a book and you kind of adapt yeah. a couple of books in the in the course of one, one, one season. But that kind of works for Bosch because Bosch stays in one place. Reacher walks around. By his mm. very nature, he is nomadic. And by his very nature, he is a loner. And that doesn't always work in TV shows. The only TV show I can think of that really successfully revolved around a single character and didn't have a revolving cast or recurring cast around that character is, of course, the greatest TV show ever made, Columbo. But I'm not so sure that's going to work for Reacher. I think the TV convention would dictate that they give Reacher a team of wisecracking youngins to bounce off him, and I, I'm, I, I, I have worries I, about this. I, I big, 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 big worries. Entirely. No, I think it'll they'll they'll do it as they should do it. They'll use him. They'll have him go from place to place. I suspect it will be as you suggest that it'll be each season of this will be a book. They'll take a book and they'll spread it out over x amount of episodes. Makes the most sense. Um, I don't know. It'll be a full season per book, though. It might I don't be know. Like three or four episodes. I don't know. Really? I, I feel even... you could easily do that. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, the littlest hobo. You know, there was only ever the littlest hobo. There weren't other hobos. He didn't have a wise cracking team of, like, chipmunks and gophers. But yes, it was but, just the littlest hobo. But, yeah, but, and stick with me here. He was a dog. What are you saying, Helen? Well, I'm just saying, like, in the same way that if Jack Reacher bounced up to people and yapped at them, and, they wouldn't necessarily get that Timmy was in the well and they needed might. rescued because mm. he's not a dog. I just feel different rules apply. I think this will be fine. And I think I think they will know well enough that they don't want to piss off the incredibly large established audience that these books have. I think they will give people what they expect and what they desire. And they did an extremely good job with the with the with the Jack Ryan series, which I enjoyed enormously. So yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to this a lot. I'm I think it will be good stuff. And while I do have a lot of time for Christopher McQuarrie and Tom Cruise and what they did with the first film. The first film, I have less time for what was done with the second film. Yes. Mm-hmm. And equally, you know, while I like Jack Reacher as a film, to me it's ironically, because it's called Jack Reacher, it's not Jack Reacher. It's a good Genre film. It works as a thriller. I like it. I like him. But it's not Dat Reacher. And that's, you know, and that's fine. It's something different. Who do you think is going to play him? Who can play him? Somebody enormous. <sighs> yeah, it's tricky. It's I mean, tricky. I don't want to be sizist, but it should be somebody enormous. You're thinking Joe Manganiello, aren't you? He wouldn't be terrible. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of Christopher Hidgeu for some reason, the, uh, which I may be pronouncing wrongly. I apologize. Oh, the guy from Game of Thrones. The guy from Game of Thrones. He's large and not dark-haired. Mm. But you need somebody with charisma you need somebody with size yes and you need somebody who can say a lot without saying very much because as we all know reacher said nothing that's right you need someone with a particular type of scything elbow i Mm. think that's uh that's quite key and obviously you need somebody who's 
ribcage is strong enough to stop a literal bullet. I think of Van Halen, that's his pectoral muscle, which got that way from digging swimming pools. And because he'd been doing all the digging, Hook Hobie's bullets Mm. did not penetrate. Also, it was just a twenty-two caliber. If it had been a thirty-eight, even Reacher's muscles would have struggled. And of course, he needs to be able to speak French pretty fluently. Um, he needs to know the entire history of boots. He does. And he needs to be someone who has never eaten a yogurt. <laughs> mm. And he needs to be able to convincingly portray the distinct types of shower that Jack Reacher has. <laughs> when you say it like that, you almost make it sound ridiculous. <laughs> but I know it isn't. So I'm going to let that pass. The, the, the fact that he had never eaten a yogurt, but he had seen one, is my favourite, <laughs> favourite Reacher fact. Reacher is a man who's described as having hands the size of supermarket turkeys. Yeah. So... I don't know that you're going to find someone. I'm looking at mine right now. It's barely the size of a supermarket pot of yogurt. Uh, so I think I'm ruling myself out right now, guys. I'm just going to say <laughs> oh, it right now. what a shame. Um, this will probably give him more latitude to cast someone who is unknown. Because, yes. because it's on Amazon, because it's almost pre-sold, they don't need to have a $60 million gross or an $80 million gross necessarily. So they don't need the star power of a cruise. So I wonder if they'll, they, that might just open them up a little bit to someone that we've never seen before who just happens to be six foot five, 250 pounds, <laughs> built like a brick shed house. And, uh, and there are yeah. a lot of them floating around Hollywood. So. Well, genuinely, there, there probably are. But uh, how many of them can act and can, and can you know, do what Reacher needs mm. to do? Uh, having said that, you know, we're talking about announcements that Marvel might make, shock announcements, things they've had in the works for a while. This will never, ever, 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 ever happen in a million years. But it would tickle me a lot if Cruz suddenly went, you know what, guys? I love this character so much that it's only eight episodes <laughs> a year. I'm going to do eight episodes of Reacher a year. I'm going to set aside four to five months of my schedule. I'm going to do the next couple of seasons of Jack mm. Reacher as well. And we're going to do a whole, a whole bunch of books as well. And I know he's not Jack Reacher, as described in the books, but I think he's very good in those films. Mm. And so maybe like a little bit of continuity there. That might be quite cool, actually. I, Never going to happen. I'm, yeah, he is, you know, physically all wrong for Reacher, but charismatically all right. So, hey, what are you going to do? Well, we've had the testosterone. Can we now talk about Barbie, please? Do it. So a Barbie movie is coming. One's instant reaction, certainly my instant reaction is, no, thank you. Yeah. And then you hear that Margot Robbie is set up to star, and you're like, okay, she's pretty great, and she has a sort of, like, ability to kind of undermine her own gorgeousness and be kind of funny about it. So that could actually be kind of interesting. And now comes the news that Noah Baumbach and Greta Gerwig hmm. are set to write the script. The, I, 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 yeah. I can't even... I don't understand. I'm pleased, I think, if they're doing something interesting and going a bit crazy with this ridiculously proportioned doll. But... I, what? I don't understand yeah. what world we're living in. This is the kind of fact that proceeds say, <laughs> yeah, but seriously. Yeah, but seriously. But the but thing with this... this is it can't be that subversive because presumably it is sanctioned and, you know, licensed by Hasbro, who own Barbie. But then they were kind of willing to poke fun at it in Toy Story even a little bit. So maybe there is room, maybe Hasbro realises that a straight up Barbie film is a terrible, terrible yeah, idea, which it is. Yeah, it is. And maybe they see this as the way to simultaneously kind of relaunch the character as a feminist icon while also kind of taking the mickey and, and drawing people in who would otherwise run a country mile to avoid it. So... Maybe right. this is genius, and I think it might be genius. And I just, but I'm, I'm so confused. I'm deeply, deeply confused, and I don't understand which way is up, and I don't know what's happening anymore. I'm, 
Yeah, I think I think it could, I could file this one under. But in two years' time, we'll either know either they've fallen apart, they moved on to someone else, or yeah. this movie will have come out. At which point we can go. Actually, that was genius because they're indie sensibilities mm. and they're really really funny people uh, that actually worked nicely. Or this is one of the biggest train wrecks we've ever seen. But it's every day is Christmas Eve here at Empire, so we're yeah. very 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 much on board with that. All right, so we're going to race through some things right now. So. Um, Lee Wanell has found his Invisible Man. Don't know how he knows that, but he has. And it is the British actor Oliver Jackson Cohen who was seen in The Haunting of Hill House. Mm. Big week for him as well because yeah. he announced he was also joining the cast of the sequel to that show, The Haunting of Bly Manor. Yeah, it's so a sort of first, anthology, right? It's an anthology show. He's the first cast member to cross over from Hill House to Bly Manor. Uh, Mike Flanagan, I believe, is also writing and directing that show as well, mm. so it should be very, very special Exciting, indeed. Yeah. Uh, but The Invisible Man started filming this week, and uh, yeah, I'm fully on board for that. And also okay. with it came some a little bit of smidgen of plot details, which is that it'll star Elizabeth Moss, we knew that already, as a woman who was in an abusive relationship, and she gets word that her abusive ex-boyfriend actually committed suicide. But then things start going wrong in her Ooh. life, so I suspect that he has actually found if a way to become invisible. Quite clever and very creepy, and a, and yep. a, a logical use of this of the concept. That's very good. Yeah. Also, the, starting this week, a quiet place part two has very started shooting. Very exciting. Yeah. Shh. So, oh sorry, sorry. Should we not mention it? No, we shouldn't. Okay. We shouldn't. Uh, trailer this week launched the first trailer for Matthew Fawn's The King's Man, which mm-hmm. is a. 1918-ish, yeah. 1910s set prequel to the Kingsman movies and doesn't look or feel like a Kingsman movie in any way, shape or form, I would say, in that trailer apart from maybe a couple of shots. And uh, I got on the phone with Vaughn for a trailer breakdown of that and you can read that exclusively on EmpireOnline.com and it's got Ray Fiennes and Harris Dickinson and uh, looks pretty darn good. Looks and, good, and yeah. More Jaiman serious Hansu. and Jaiman Hansu and Jaiman Arderton and it's more serious and sober than you might expect from previous movies in that franchise <laughs> shall we say uh, also speaking historically again we've got two other historical movies Armando Iannucci's version of David Copperfield um, will open the London Film Festival this year very, very exciting, exciting. Yep. Dev Patel starring in that one fantastic mm-hmm. cast around him and the confirmation came through of the new Elvis Presley for Baz Luhrmann's movie very much and it will be Austin Butler Yes, which isn't the biggest surprise because mm. of the five people we were talking about who were apparently in contention, including one Harry Styles. He was the true unknown in in the bunch. but uh, Which is what Lerman wanted, right? Yes. So, yeah. Still doesn't look like Elvis for me, but that maybe won't matter so much once he's made up and shot and everything works. And uh, yeah, it looks good. Yeah. And the very last thing we should discuss before we get into talking about The Lion King is... And this is very much a rumour at the moment. This is not being confirmed at all by Eon. So this is scuttlebutt to the highest degree. But uh, there is a rumour coming out that in the next Bond film, Bond 25, the Shanna Lynch, who was previously cast, we know that her character name was Nomi, that she is actually the next 007. So that the movie begins, as we know, with Bond retired. So therefore, you can imagine the 007 code number is Mm -hmm. up for grabs. And so apparently M at the beginning of the movie goes, come in 007, and then walks the Shanna Lynch <gasps> and all the racist dickheads on Twitter. Lose their minds. Lose their shit. Yeah. So this is, not, this is unconfirmed, but what do we think about this? I mean, it's interesting if that's what they're doing. It's, um, it is a way of shaking up that franchise in yep. a way that I, for one, find interesting and I don't find much about Bond interesting. I worry that if it is that, it's a bit of a... There's the potential that they don't 
have the courage of their convictions, that they get her off screen pretty damn quickly as well. And I worry about that, and I hope I'm wrong well, about it's, that. Well, it's obviously not going to be her story, but yeah. I think it's an interesting direction to take. And if it is true, I think it's a really elegant and ingenious idea, mm. in a way, because what they could be doing, for a long time people have been going, there should be a black Bond, there should be a female Bond. And I don't think Eon have any interest in going down that route, if I'm, if I'm completely honest yeah. with you. People may argue, playing devil's advocate, that James Bond is as written by Ian Fleming, he is what he is, which yeah. is an incredibly privileged, white dickish guy. Yeah. white guy. And to be honest, there is something in that. Like Bond is a male fantasy. He was designed as this male fantasy. And equality does not actually require that we take every figure of male fantasy away, right? And he is honestly the last one I would sort of gender swap or race swap or anything else just because of the extent to which he is designed as that male fantasy figure. Which is not to say that we shouldn't gender and race swap whole heaps of people in yep, movies because if we're going to stick with all these over, overly familiar um, IPs, intellectual mm-hmm. properties, then we need to shake things up somehow. Yes. Yes. But Bond is honestly not top of my list for that. And maybe that makes me a bad feminist and that's fine. Possibly. And, you know, this this is something we could discuss for, for a very, very long mm-hmm. time. But what I think this does is that I think it allows them to have their cake and eat it in a yeah, weird way because it. it allows them to go... James Bond is going to remain, even after Daniel Craig hangs up his Walter PPK, and this is his last movie, we're going to recast, and it's it's going to be same as it ever was. James Bond is going to be a white guy in his 30s slash 40s. That's what he's going to be. But there ain't nothing in the rule book that says 007 has to be that. Mm. And that's a really clever way of... Working around of, it. Working around yeah. it, and actually giving, the people, giving people what they want and what they've been clamoring for for a long, long time, whilst also... Sticking with tradition mm. yeah. in the same time. There's no guarantee, of course, that the Shannon Lynch will continue with the 007 stamp into a next Bond movie, but it means that the option is there, that James Bond is retired. He doesn't have to come back. He can stay retired in the next series of movies. They can recast it with whomever they want. Yeah. Henry Cavill, whomever they want. Strongly suggest Henry Cavill, but <laughs> whomever <laughs> they want. And then 007 can be the Shannon Lynch Idris Elba, anyone. Yeah. And that that's interesting. That frees them up in a, in a really fascinating and exciting way for me. Uh, so fingers crossed that this happens and that she isn't fridged within three seconds of her appearance. Huh. I don't think she will be, but I don't think she's going to be a huge part of it. No. Well, as you pointed out, like in License to Kill, he is... He's not 007 in License to Kill. He's not 007 in that. So this license is refocused. There is, there is form. Yeah, and we have seen multiple times in the Bond franchise over the years, the 007, the 00 numbers all get together, and when one gets killed, they get replaced by another one. That's yeah. that's just the way, that's just the way, or they retire, and then that's the way it works. So we shall see, with file is under rumor for the time being, but we're also cautiously excited and optimistic about what this means. And if you've reacted in any way negatively to this, in terms of uh, racism and sexism, get the fuck. There you go. Okay, so time now for this week's guest and incredibly his first time on the Empire Podcast. Can you believe that? Wow. I think. No, it's not. It we can't had him be. for Chef. Did we? Yep. Did I do that? No, I did. You did. His second time on the Empire Podcast, because I did this with Kevin Costner. I was did, did my big intro. This is his first time on the Empire Podcast. Turns out we'd had him before. Well done. I can't remember everyone we interview. <laughs> but anyway. We're very, very big fans of John Favreau here, and quite rightly so, because, you know, he's the guy behind, oh, Swingers, and Iron Man, and Maid, and The Jungle Book, and Chef, oh. 
and Iron Man 2. You didn't, ugh, that one. I just, I, well, no, but like, I know I really want just food. I want food as well. Chef's such a good film, isn't oh, it's it? So good. I think that I gave it. I think I either I or someone gave it three stars, and it's, oh. it's one of my big regrets. It's it's aged really well. It's that delightful. Movie. Uh, but Favreau's career is really interesting because he's gone from being the writer and actor who wrote Swingers just to get a gig, and then after that he kind of scratched around for a little bit and showed up in the likes of Friends and made some you know deep impact and maybe wasn't really going anywhere as the leading man necessarily. So he moved into writing and directing and his career is, again, fascinating to the likes of Maid and Sathura and Cowboys and Aliens, but also huge, great, great big whacking successes. He is in many ways, along with Kevin Feige, the father of the Marvel Cinematic Universe Mm -hmm. and uh, continues in that as as an actor, of course. We do discuss that a little bit here. You won't be surprised to know this interview turns into a mini Avengers Endgame spoiler special, folks, <laughs> but also a mini Spider-Man Far From Home spoiler special also. So there's little bits of that there. But he's back this week as a director of The Lion King, which is a very faithful remake of the 1994 original. And we spoke about that, and we spoke about why he wanted to make this movie, and we spoke about the techniques and how his career has has taken different twists and turns and we talked about the failures in his, his career and we talked about the successes as well and uh, had a real blast talking to Favs um, or more accurately being talked at by Favs <laughs> because he is a talker and maybe one day we'll get him in for a Macquarie style podcast. That would be awesome. That would be amazing. But here we go. Here is me talking to John Favreau. Do please enjoy. Delighted to be joined on the Emperor podcast by the director of The Lion King, Mr. John Favreau. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Good, good, good. This is it. This is your London junket done, but that can't be it for you, right? That's off to Tokyo. (laughs) Off to the world of enchantment. Okay. Yes. That's going to be fun. Always fun to go to Tokyo. I imagine you must love it in Tokyo. I do. And I have lots of people who help direct me to where I need to check out because every time you go, it's another layer. The biggest uh, help is Guillermo del Toro. Oh, my God. Yeah. Because he loves food. Uh, he loves kaiju. He loves Godzilla. He loves artwork. Uh, so he he knows where all you know. He always has a emails full of interesting places for me to check out. Amazing. So he's he's your guy on the inside, so to speak. He, what, what about here? What about here? Who who tells you where to go here, or, or are you plugged in already? Well, I've got you know uh, Hans Zimmer, uh, uh, who's a, a, a bit of a local. You know, there's there's a, the chef world. You know, I'm, I'm overlapping the chef world now. We've got now that I've got the chef show on uh, yeah. on Netflix. Uh, I, they treat me like a, you know, like a somebody who hosts a travelogue or a, or a resident chef. So the, the chefs treat me very well. It's, it's good. <laughs> it's good for 15 pounds. Not 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 the monetary 15 no. pounds. 15 pounds on the waist. Yes. When chefs go around, it's a whole different experience. Uh, when when they the chefs treat their own. Uh, like like kings and, yeah. and whenever I've traveled around with with real chefs they've uh-huh. it's amazing what experience you get it's some, something that inspired doing the chef show I, I learned a lot about that when I was filming chef as I was spending time with Roy Choi and other chefs and uh, when you go into a restaurant and you sit with a chef and a chef comes to your table there's a whole other level of um, how should I say camaraderie that you don't experience in other fields, <laughs> and uh, it's it's amazing this kind of the, the ever expanding sort of series of Venn diagrams that sums up your career. And yes, that's, that's been something that you've been very very much into right from the off. You know when when you kind of broke through with Swingers, you were very very quick to obviously you were acting in other projects. You were still writing, 
you began to direct fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. You had dinner for five as well. Yeah, so yeah. that's something you've been looking to, to sort of diversify right from the off. Yeah, it's it, it's more a matter of uh, me doing things that I get excited by. Yeah, and and um, you know, doors open for you in your career as you have successes, and sometimes you could use those those open doors to pivot to something else that you're excited by. And, you know, what, what could get tedious is if you are asked to do the same thing over and over again, and, and often in success you do that. And I think there's been a nice balance that I've been able to strike between doing things that are related to what I've done before, but yet pivoting to something that's a, a bit of a stretch, but mm-hmm. not so far afield of what I've done that it it doesn't build upon what I've been successful at or mm-hmm. what people's expectations might be. It seems, for example, that it is very easy for people like me, especially people like me who are spectacularly unimaginative, to draw a line from The Jungle Book to The Lion King. Yeah. Is it harder to draw a line from Swingers to The Lion King for you? Um, In retrospect, it, it seems all very uh, <laughs> obvious. But at the time, you know, you don't know what you're doing. You know, you try to be uh, take advantage of opportunities. You try mm-hmm. to be brave. You try to be um, thoughtful, uh, be prepared for when those breaks come. Uh and you honestly learn a, a lot more from the failures than the successes. And that's something I remind myself of as, as you sort of face them inevitably mm-hmm. because there's no way to get lucky all the time. But that isn't to say that, that things that feel like failures in the moment don't lead to really positive outcomes when you look at the stretch of a, of a career. Not, not to dig too deep into the dark stuff before we get into The Lion King, but uh, what, what for you is a, is a failure, Lynn, in your career? What would you say that, like, that springs to mind? Well, I don't hold it with the energy of failure because I'm grateful for all the experiences that that have led me to this point. But there was definitely disappointment uh, surrounding Cowboys and Aliens because it was, you know, it felt it felt like I was doing my best work. And up until it got it opened or got reviewed, it felt like we were really riding high. And then it just was a. Uh, it just was a flavor of ice cream people didn't want. It just didn't click for people. What was most concerning, to be honest with you, is that it wasn't like it was polarizing. It wasn't like people loved it and hated it. It just was sort of like a a lukewarm, tacit kind of uh, you know reaction to it. And and I don't mind when people don't like stuff, but when they don't care or it doesn't stimulate any kind of um, response is is when it feels like you know, what was I doing all this for? It, it's not having any impact on people because at the end of the day, this is media. This is a medium. This is a uh, tool by which you connect to other people. It, it's a communication tool, whether it's film or so, any sort of art that you do that's geared towards an audience. You That reaction is part of the equation. And when that reaction isn't there, it feels um, disappointing. And you know that that was the one that stood out the most at the time. Zathura felt like it was a was a failure, uh, though creatively it wasn't for me. And I don't think I would have gotten. As a matter of fact, Kevin Feige told me straight out that Zathura was part of the reason they hired me to do Iron Man because of the visual <laughs> wow. effects that were Amazing. in there. So so you never know. Yeah. And, and you know I was I remember I was doing a retrospective with uh, with Jim Cameron years ago. I think it was the DGA. And I looked at all his work, and you look at things that like. Uh, that don't feel like they're that significant. I mean, the abyss was significant in a way because there were there was new use of uh, visual effects and CGI, but it wasn't a, a film that 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 stuck in my memory as something that was a 
you know, part of his body of work that felt as significant as other pieces. But then when you watch all the pieces back to back, you realize that, no, oh, he wouldn't have done Titanic or mm-hmm. T2 without that. So you start to appreciate it within the context of a body of work, and you, you really can't separate out each project. And so as I try to look back at, at my own work with, the, with that same kind forgiveness that you offer other people, <laughs> uh, you realize that, no, I, I couldn't be doing The Mandalorian now if I didn't do Cowboys and Aliens. And, and I couldn't do Lion King without the Jungle Book, and I couldn't have done the Jungle Book without what, you know. So, so there is lines that you could draw uh, because it's a journey. It's not just individual projects. Absolutely, and uh, it's interesting you mentioned The Abyss, sir, because The Abyss is this weird, <laughs> almost personal divorce movie that is in the middle of mm-hmm. Cameron's more big-budget, bombastic stuff, and it's, it's fascinating, and he's, he's, he almost buries it in the middle of this huge special effects movie. But going back to your work as well, it's, it's, it's interesting that, you know, Chef, for example, to me, has always seemed like a bit of a reaction to working in big-budget movies yeah. and, you know... Even though you have uh, you have freedom in big budget movies, there there are still people who might give you suggestions and sure, whatnot. And it seemed, sure. it seemed a bit of a, re- a reaction against that. Was, yeah. was, was that the case? And again, is that something from there you draw a line to ending up a Jungle Book and Lank? I think so. I think for sure. And I think there are lessons I learned in the making of Chef and the preparing for Chef uh, and the training with other chefs for Chef that uh, I really was able to uh, take away a lot of lessons of what comes from that other uh, creative endeavor of, you know, how chefs build their careers and and the compromises they have to make and the decisions they have to make and what motivates them. And and the way that they work and the, and the notion of um, quality control, vision, collaboration, the balance of art and commerce, uh, the notion of, you know, that you need other people to collaborate with you who are talented artists in their own right – but yet you have to somehow organize all of this team around a unified vision and the sense of pursuing perfection, the idea of getting that Michelin star and what separates a Michelin star restaurant from one that doesn't have one. You can have fantastic food, but there's just something in, the, in that last 1% that takes a tremendous amount of work to get that last bit of refinement and vision and 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 that really informed how I would speak to the artists that were working on on the visual effects for uh, Jungle Book and Lion King because it's getting the best work out of out of great artists and and that's a very different relationship than I'm used to from working on let's say independent films where everybody's kind of bringing their best but when you get to visual effect it's about uh, it's about you know, this attention to detail and the tediousness of the process over many years <laughs> where you have to keep everybody focused and yeah. you have to keep your standards high. Yeah. But when you pull it off, it creates this grand illusion that, you know, that, you know, we, we achieved to some extent with, with the Jungle Book. But when you see The Lion King, you really see a level of refinement that I haven't seen before. And And this is a moment where we get to own this space because we're the first film to really push the limits to this extent. And, and of course, that's all going to, you know, change as the next wave of film comes out and, and everything's affected by the breakthroughs that come through technologically. But for this one moment, we get to see the audience experience something that seems completely real in many cases, but everything is completely, every environment's completely generated by computer. Every performance is animated uh, using, you know, keyframe techniques, uh, just like Bambi, you know, with new tools, but... But ultimately, it is the hands of the artist putting this artificial environment together, and it, and 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 when it works well, it appears effortless and natural, and as though it was just footage that was shot in, in a natural environment. 
It's uh, there. There are moments in the Lion King where I thought, "Well, that's it. He's just he's just filmed some lions. He's just, yeah, <laughs> he's just he's just taking a camera. You've you've tricked us all. You've gone out. You filmed some lions running around, and then said it's great special effects. Yeah. It is it is that photo real? But it's all fake. You know, it's yeah. all. But you know, except I should say, there's one shot. Um, I know that you have film fans, so yeah. maybe they could, maybe they have a, a, a refined enough eye. But we stuck one uh, filmed shot in of the fourteen hundred. There's one film shot in the film, just to see if people could figure out which one it is. And then after people have seen the film, I'll, I'll talk about which one it is. But I want I want to make everybody be able to guess it. I don't want to tell them ahead of time. But you know, it's 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 misleading because people think it's a uh, you know computers do it like oh okay you know wow they got a great computer program that makes a movie and it's not that at all it's uh, the computers offer tools right no <laughs> yeah. it's it's artists it's uh, these films are handmade even when we talk about things like motion capture when you see how much work goes on behind the scenes with keyframe animators to help make that data flow into a into a cohesive performance, you realize that there are thousands of people working on these things behind the scenes. Uh, in the case of of this, we have you know hundreds of artists uh, around the world working on it, trying to define and create these environments, these lighting schemes, a cohesiveness from shot to shot. Even mm-hmm. though there's different groups of artists working on them, you know we have visual effects supervisor like Rob Legato and Adam Valdez, who I uh, worked with on the last film and worked on this and. And there's such tremendous attention to detail and such a human element. It's like you have a, a whole facility of people hand-painting mosaic tiles and then assembling those tiles into a big mural. And I don't think people appreciate the artistry and the, the effort that goes into work that's ultimately invisible. I think that we, we get very hung up on the technology, on things like virtual production. We're using VR. We're using new techniques here. But the fact is you have a live-action film crew that uses VR to go into a completely digital environment and set cameras in a way to help emulate photorealism and having Caleb Deschanel, who, our cinematographer, who has no background in visual effects but understands how to shoot something like The Black Stallion or Fly Away Home and understands framing and lighting and nature and imagery and telling a story emotionally through composition and to build a set of tools so that he can operate with a film crew in this environment and I could sit by his side as a director and scout it out as though we were on a real location. Uh, all that technology is exciting and interesting, but really all it does is bring online the career of experience that these filmmakers have and helps incorporate their vision into this new tech as opposed to using technology to disrupt the process of making movies. And that's part of what I enjoy so much about this one is that we're able to marry up the traditions of uh, and, and the wealth of experience that that these film crews have, uh, while still bringing them into the new world of the digital age and what's uh, available to us with uh, convincing imagery and, and computer technology. How tricky is it for you as a director, though? Because it's a long waiting process in a movie like this, yeah. and uh, there will be there will be for a large, large portal of the uh, the of the production, the effects will be. Less than complete, shall we say. And that must be worrying because you have that release date. That's set yeah. in stone and that's not moving. And at what point does it start to come into focus? No, but is we're good. I mean, on something like this, we're just too well. Yeah. We're a well-oiled machine from the last one around. We know the story. There's no surprise yeah. reshoots. There's no test screenings <laughs> where they say, it's a really bums out the kids when what happens to Mufasa, we should reshoot that. Like, it's the Lion King. And so that offers some protection to us. Okay. And so... 
much like uh, Aaron Franklin smoking a brisket at, at, at Franklin Barbecue in Austin, so much of that is how much time you spend prepping yeah, yeah, yeah. the product, how yeah. much time you spend in the smoker. Uh-huh. And it's the consistency and giving it its time to do it right, to, to, to slow the process down. And with this one, I want to be an exercise about uh, managing our time so well that there's no artist that did not get the opportunity to do their best work. And I think mm-hmm. with visual effects, often why those films suffer is because either the director is asking too much of the artist or the technology that it's incapable of, or things are being rushed or changes are being made in a way that doesn't allow the artist to – I mean, they'll all, they could do it, but you're not going to get their best work. And so uh, give it the time that it needs because when you look at Lion King, you know, realize that these are artists that have worked on a lot of other visual effects movies. They're using the same hardware and software that all the other visual effects uh, movies are using for the most part. I mean, there's some proprietary stuff. We develop new simulations, new – uh, fur tools, things like that. But overall, it's really about what the the cultural aesthetic of this particular production was. And we created a culture of really refining the artistry and giving the artist time to do what they needed to do, planning it effectively, understanding because of Jungle Book what, uh, you know, what the rendering tools can do effectively and what things you shouldn't ask them to do. And then from there on, it's just it's just elbow grease and, and human effort and artistry on the on behalf of the teams that we assembled to help make this film. Uh, why the Lion King, and when did it come into view for you? Was it was it during the Jungle Book? Yeah, at the end of Jungle Book, when everything was clicking really well, and everybody was excited to see Jungle Book, and it was getting good notices, and and it did well. It, it, you know, it made money for for Disney, and then I finally also felt that we had. You know, I had hit the flat part of the learning curve where I started to really understand what was going on. Uh, whereas I was really, a, a, you know, an officer in training uh, over the course of most of that production. By the end, I really feel like I had I had a handle on all of it. And thanks to the team around me for bringing me through it, uh, the the film ended up well. But the idea of now pulling out the one and only human character out of Jungle Book and what could you do if you were not confined to a physical production with lights and cameras? But instead, you could do everything virtually. And then all of this uh, VR hardware was coming online, this consumer-facing VR hardware that was at a much lower price point. And we could use uh, the game engine, you know, platforms like Unity in this case to build out a multiplayer VR filmmaking game, constantly doing code dumps and updating the tool set, encoding new pieces of hardware to help emulate a live-action production. Uh, as that was happening and we were experimenting with stuff and figuring out how we would have done Jungle Book differently, uh, the idea of approaching Disney about Lion King to see what they were thinking with that property because that was one of the few that they hadn't announced anything about and pitching them on the notion of, hey, let's present this as a live-action film. Let's really try to fool people. Let's take inspiration from you know, the Attenborough documentaries and yeah. see if we could limit our yeah. – our aesthetic to what could actually be achieved and see if we could fool people with what this technology could do. At times I, I expected his, his voice to start exactly. in the action. <laughs> Did you think yeah. about having him voice a character? At, at no, it was great. You know, but Hans Zimmer was, you know, you know, sort of a nexus point between Lion King and planet earth. And so it was really interesting talking to him and hearing his perspective on things. And he would show it to people that he worked with there and, and so there is something very interesting about the idea of making ersatz documentaries using these tools, and I'm exploring that uh, on uh, for future projects. 
But, you know, whenever you bring a new tool online, it starts to inspire lots of other ideas. I'm using a lot of these tools now for uh, The Mandalorian, this virtual production okay, cool. pr- uh, process. Uh, in the case of Mandalorian, you know, I'm, I'm a writer and executive producer, but you collaborate with a lot of directors. In many cases, new directors or directors don't have a background in visual effects. And so this apprenticeship process works really well with virtual production because you could – you could kind of make the movie together before you ever have a set or characters there. You could start to build out in the part of the process where you're normally doing storyboards or previs. You could actually act out and create a version of the film that becomes a basis for how you go about it uh, during the actual production period. And so the whole thing becomes like a reshoot. The whole thing is the second <laughs> – by the time you're on the set, you're shooting the movie for the second time. So it's a great way to talk creatively. It's a great way to look at a cut to see if the if the story's working. Uh-huh. I think a lot of times with live-action production, there's a lot of reshoots because I think stories aren't really vetted and understood until you hit the editing room. Yep. And so it, it, it makes for a much more efficient process, a much more streamlined process and something that will work well with a streaming service because you want to hit a TV schedule and get – but still get uh, – the quality of a, of a theatrical release. Wow, amazing. So The Mandalorian is a combination of, of that approach, but also a lot of live action stuff. Yeah, it's all live well. action, yeah, but, okay. but, but as far as the planning process, we can the build end. the environments digitally. And we're also using, um, we were using for the first season, using Epic uh, Game Engine technology and working with ILM to create, using video walls and these new high-speed video cards that NVIDIA makes to actually have in-camera effects in certain cases using video walls and a set that is uh, surrounded by high-resolution circular wall that encloses the entire set and and a ceiling above. And this is an idea that we were kind of pursuing since Jungle Book because we had so much green screen work. And, and at first I was trying to figure out a way to be more efficient in the way we move green screen around and, and limit the green spill by keeping uh, just a small halo of green around the character while having elements in video panels that would would uh, create interactive light, which is so important in, in compositing, and gravity used so effectively. We used it yeah, in Jungle yeah, Book yeah. as well. Yeah. And then that led to using this new game engine tech that's so robust, not just using it for reflections but or for green screen, but also using it for um, – backgrounds that parallax so as we you know we have we create a volume on the set we have positional data on the camera and every time we move the camera the parallax on the background moves and for you know we we thought for it would at least be good for reflections but by the time we started shooting we realized that there's a lot of circumstances where you can actually have in-camera visual effects that are final uh, after you're rolling if you have enough prep time and and create backgrounds that are photo real enough wow so all this is to say that you don't just learn one thing on one project. Everything kind of overlaps yeah. and informs something else. And, and all of these technologies, uh, whether it's gaming or um, you know, different platforms, different vendors, different tools, all of them, there's, there's a, a confluence of all of these that can help speak to opportunities of how to bring beautiful imagery in an efficient way to, you know, to audiences. That's amazing. I'm trying to figure out how to use this this technology for podcasts, John. Any, any, any ideas? <laughs> no. But podcasts just... are great, by the way. Yeah. I think it's a great way to communicate because how could you have this kind You know, I just did two days worth of interviews, each of them uh, averaging about five or six minutes each, and you never <laughs> get past the first – you know, you never get into the deep dive yeah, of it. Yeah, one or two, one or two and, questions. And, and so people who really want to understand this, and you hear this conversation, and it's, it's, it's quite informative and specific and thorough. Mm. It's not a soundbite. It's what I, it's how I like to 
uh, learn things. I listen to podcasts every night or in the car. So uh, happy to participate. It's, uh, <laughs> I think I think we're doing a we're doing a service here. Happy to have you along. In, in terms of the Lion King, there's a very interesting decision that you make as well, and that you hew more closely to the contours of the original story of the original film mm-hmm. than you did with the Jungle Book. Can, you, sure. talk, can you talk about that? Well, Jungle Book, you had people like me who were in their fifties who grew up with it, and, I, and we saw it probably a few times in our childhood when it's like came back on TV, uh, maybe for special viewing or or. I guess eventually it was on on VHS. But, but Lion King's different because even though it was 25 years ago, the generation that grew up with it watched it on a loop in the back of a minivan or they had it on, on VHS <laughs> and they know every line of dialogue. Donald Glover knows every line of dialogue from the movie. <laughs> and not only that, but it's this extremely emotional story that's just you know searing itself into the memories of these young children who are experiencing – you know all the classic Disney, you know the roller coaster of emotions and loss and sorrow uh, that dates back to you know Bambi and, and 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 the intensity of of Snow White and and even like recently you know you got Finding Nemo, you know that's part of the brand of what Disney you know how Disney approaches telling stories to young people is is not shying away from the darker mm-hmm. aspects of of life. But then also the humor and the music and how uplifting it is ultimately, inspiring it is. And so the net result is every and all the millennials that have grown up with this have this very intimate relationship with the source material. It's right here in their, in their brains. And, and you have to contend yeah. with that. Okay. I can't take on Lion King and say, okay, I got a whole new set of characters and a new story and new music. Like, that's, not, that's not what this title deserves. Uh, and, I, and I got a lot of um, – took a lot of, uh, of cues from the, the stage production. Mm. Because when you watch the stage production, if you've seen the movie and see the stage show, you say, oh, that's the same story. It's the same, it's the same everything. Uh, but then you realize that the stage show, that's, that's an hour longer. There's music in it that's not in the original. There's characters that are, uh, have different storylines. Mm. And, and they hit a few things, like you see the circle of life, you see the stampede, Hakuna Matata. Th- those things are in it, and those are the things that you remember most clearly. And by touching on those memory points so so closely in the stage play, the takeaway is that you're seeing the same exact story. Mm. And by presenting this film as yet a third medium of making it appear to be live action or documentary, however you want to characterize it, the techniques are animation techniques, but the appearance hopefully is live action. You have the opportunity to retell the story yet again in a way that's not redundant, but you still have to hit certain things the same way. And so we prioritize sequences like the circle of life where we wanted to come in feeling almost shot for shot or as much as we could. But then once you come out of circle of life and you get into the scene with Scar and the mouse, now hopefully it's going to feel like we're photographing just a mouse acting naturally and and leaning into what our strengths are and away from the more broad humor and and broad characterizations and, Mm. and dialogue that the original had. So we try to hit the same plot points, the same scenes. We're about a half hour longer. We have additional music. We have additional scenes. But all the things that you come to expect from the original are there. And so for the casual viewer, they might say it's the exact same movie from the exact same script. But the people who grew up with it know it, see where we've departed from it. And mm-hmm. much like with Marvel, when we did Iron Man, and this is where I think the MCU and, and Kevin were really smart about things, is unlike when we when when superhero movies have been developed for studios, there was a feeling of, oh, the, the fans are going to be there anyway. Let's just make it our own and try to appeal to general audiences. 
Kevin was the first uh, person to say, no, this is our core audience. You have to speak to them directly. They will understand the nuance of what's going on. And if you engage your main base audience, you could expand your audience from there. And so by when we made Iron Man Mm -hmm. to take quite seriously the people who grew up reading the 40 years of books – we knew that we could tell a good story for a general audience, but never leave behind the people who've put the time in and have the relationship with the underlying material. And so that's the relationship that I try to embrace for whether I'm working in Star Wars or with Disney animated classics. I always try to channel what the people would expect and either play into or against those expectations. And then you could expand upon that. But uh, at its core, th- those are the people that you want to mm. you want to connect with. Yeah. And honestly, you don't know if you've succeeded until the movie is out there in wide release. And as we sit here talking, it's, it's, going, to, it's going to be a few days. <laughs> it's a few days before it's going to be out there. You'll be in Japan. Yeah. I'll be in Japan. And, yeah. and, and if, you know, again, if the audience doesn't feel it, if they don't show up, it's going to feel like I didn't do my job. So I sit here with, <laughs> on the one hand, quite satisfied with the outcome of what we've created, very proud of the team. But on the other hand, you don't know. This is only... You know, this is only half of the equation. The other half is how how well it's um, how well people connect with it. Absolutely. And I've been there when it's happened in a way that's overwhelming, like with uh, MCU stuff. Yeah. You know, with Iron Man, and I, and I've been and with Avengers and being part of it, even as an actor, uh, to feel that that connection. Even Spider Man: Far From Home. <laughs> uh, and then sometimes it's just like you call out, and your echo never. Never comes back to you, oh, so I'll feel I'll feel a lot better once it's out there, and I start to feel how if we've done our job properly, because there are people who are tremendously invested in this in this title, and I want to make sure we don't let them down. Hey, Hakuna Matata, um, but um, I've got to let you go in a second, Joe. But I just want to ask you: you brought up uh, the MCU. Regular podcast listeners will know I'm a fan of the MCU, and uh, this summer you've worn your blip beard, for example, Happy's blip beard. Yes, you, you're, you're, you're retaining that. Um, and this year, I think we can probably talk about it now. Uh-huh. When you cast yourself as Happy Hogan all yes. those years ago, did you foresee that it would yourself... be an annuity? Yes, <laughs> that it was going that it was going it was going to support my um yeah uh, su- support my family. Um, but not just that, but that also that you would that Happy would outlive. No, that, who would that, think? Yeah, who would think? No, I had no idea. I just put myself in there as a kind of little Easter egg. That there I would be like a driver, basically an extra, but then we credited me as Hogan. And um, and then gave myself a little bit more to do, a fun action sequence and some comedy with uh, with, with Scarlet as Black Widow. and uh, But more just an indulgence as me as an actor because, you know, that would have been a role I would have killed for what I did in Iron Man 2 uh, if I was starting off as an actor. And then slowly uh, Iron Man 3 – you know, didn't direct that one. Very odd being on a set of an Iron Man movie that I wasn't the director of. Uh, when I was in Miami filming that, I started uh, being inspired for for the film Chef and yeah. my experiences hanging out there on my hold days. I never had hold days, days off when I was a director. But here I was enjoying, you know, being out of town and having time off. And, and it got me into writing and writing notes. And I don't like to sit around doing nothing. I tend to, if I'm on location, I tend to start writing something else or at least jotting thoughts down. And then by the time the Avengers hit, you know, first it was Spider-Man, which was, which was super cool to be in. That was a fun, it was a contentious relationship with Peter Parker at first, almost like a comedic parental thing. Yeah. But then after, of course, after the blip, 
what these characters must have gone through and and my relationship with this kid and also knowing how Tony felt about him and to help use that to help change the relationship. And I really like the relationship mm. between Happy Hogan and, and Peter Parker now. And I love Tom Holland. And it was really fun filming that stuff. And, and, and I was feeling nostalgic when we were in the Stark jet and and talking to him. I mean, part of that was written and part of that just came out of those scenes and those performances. And, and John Watts is a great director and was really – uh, into hewing down on on what the reality of that moment would be and what would it really be like if we went through that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and 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 of course Tom Holland just brings it and is quite convincing in in how he characterizes Peter Parker and how he grounds that character emotionally. And I love that franchise. I love the I love the tone. I love the humor. It really feels. It reminds me so much of the early days of the Iron Man franchise. It's amazing. And of course, the cheeseburger Seymour Morgan and yes. Endgame destroys me every single oh, time I see you. it. Uh, it's incredible. But John, I've got a sense. I've got a feeling you'll be back as happy again. But oh, uh, good. I uh, hope so. For the time being, I could let you. I could talk to you for a lot longer than thirty-two yes. minutes. But uh, we're being dragged out. Well, I can't wait to listen to this in the car. And, and and regret saying things that I put poorly and I made a, you know, uh, got tongue-tied and sound. But that's the beauty of this technology of myself, now. We can go so. back and we can fix it. We can, we can do research. We'll do that. Yeah, we'll, we'll, get, that. we'll get approval. Okay. No, always, always a pleasure talking to you. And, um, and hopefully this was a informative conversation. Indeed. And, uh, and happy to, you know, connect with the people who, who really are curious about, you know, what makes this whole thing tick because this is how I learned. I learned from you know whether it was behind the scenes you know featurettes or director's commentaries so i try to be i try to be as upfront about all this as i can because i know out there there are people who are coming up with the next way of doing these things and it's always good to be able to draw upon discoveries that people have made before them and we build on each other's you know we build on what we learn from one another and it's a it's it's a it's a circle of life here too in the, <laughs> in the film business. Well, you're welcome so. back anytime, John. Uh, the record on the Empire podcast is six hours. A six hour interview with Chris McQuarrie. Really? I've got a feeling you could beat that one day. Six one hours. Day, six hours about one wow. film. One film. Mission Impossible Fallout. We talked for six hours about wow. one film. So I gotta check that out. You gotta I, check might, it out. I might have to do it in bite sized uh, pieces. You fly to Tokyo. It's a twelve hour flight. <laughs> there it is. Just listen to it. Right? Listen it to it twice. <laughs> Cheers. A pleasure to Brilliant. talk to you. Cheers, John. Thank you. Bye. Bye. So that was John Favreau, and now seems like a good time to talk about an animated movie in which a bunch of human actors play a bunch of freakishly animated cats. Jellical cats. Not the Lion King, because we are not going to go to the review section of the show just yet, because the break in recording paid off for us, I yeah, think. Yeah, it is. Because while we were recording this, and in fact, overnight, after we recorded the first part of the show... Let's just say Trailer Mayhem. Trailer Mayhem. Great trailers, some of them. Some great trailers out there. Um, so it, Chapter 2 is very scary. Oh, scary trailer. Ooh, scary. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm sure it's very scary. scary. Oh, super, super duper scary. Uh, Kevin Smith launched a trailer for Jay and Silent Bob Reboot. I haven't seen it Looks yet. Looks good. Cool. Funny. Good. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yep. All on board for that one. Mm-hmm. What else was there? Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Went to Comic-Con. I think Top for the Gun. first time. No, he was there when I was there last. He was there when you were there last. What was he there for? Um, Interview with a vampire. No, Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah. Okay. So he was back at Comic-Con and he launched a trailer for Top Gun Maverick, which is now the official title because it was and it wasn't and now it is again. So Top Gun Maverick and that looks great. It looks so good. Flying planes for real. I know. Maniac. 
absolute madman. Should be called Top Gun Maniac, if you ask me. Top. Well, I mean, Maverick kind of has a similar meaning. Oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, What a maverick. What a guy. What a maverick. And that was it. I think that was it on the trailer front. That was, that That was, should have been it. Oh, here's Dark Materials. Yes. Uh, which I haven't seen yet, but uh, it looks good. And, um, uh, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. The Panzerbjorn look great, and the casting is obviously spot on, I think. And I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm thrilled. I can't wait to see it. But yeah, apart from, apart from It Chapter 2, Jane Selbob, Reboot, Top Gun Maverick, and His Dark Materials, I think that was pretty much it for the trailers. <laughs> yeah. I don't think there's anything else <laughs> worth discussing. My therapist says I'm not allowed to talk about it. <laughs> Surely you should talk about it. You I should feel, get no, it all out. No, there, some things, Helen, are too horrible, are too upsetting, too are too yeah. awful to bring <laughs> to the light of day. And Cats is one of them. I mean, look, let's be honest. People are going, I don't understand why you're surprised by what Cats looks like. This is exactly what the stage show looks like. Yes, we know. And that's one of the many reasons the stage show sucks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they look, yes, they look like humans wearing... CG cat costumes that's not a good thing no. no I can't imagine the mind of the person I mean talk about mavericks and maniacs mm. who went to see Cats the musical and not only thought you know what this is entertaining this is hitting me <laughs> in all the sweet spots I love people dressed as cats I love terrible music apart from one song apart from one song which they hit in the trailer yeah. repeatedly it's in the trailer and it's not it, even we, we have the song in the movie it's not even that good a version of the song I'm with Helen yeah yeah I mean, um, and she, we know she can hit a big number at the centre of a big musical. Jennifer we know Hudson, that. Yes, yeah. yes. But, but, but maybe not so much here. All right. Uh, but I can't imagine the person who went to see that musical and thought, this is what my big screen version of this Farrago, this <laughs> abomination of a musical is going to look like on the big screen. But yeah, that seems to be exactly what's happened. So yesterday, in case you weren't aware, they were threatening to drop it at 4 p.m. today. Threatening being the right word. Mm-hmm. I've never heard... The word Christmas has never carried more <laughs> of a threat. Honestly. But uh, they deployed this thing, much like Saddam Hussein could deploy weapons of mass destruction within 45 minutes. They deployed the Cats trailer at 10 p.m. last night, taking everyone by surprise. So mm-hmm. so Tom Cruise had gone to Comic-Con and dropped the trailer for Top Gun Maverick and everyone's going, oh my God, look at that. It's amazing. It's Tom Cruise flying fighter jets for real. Nothing could possibly knock this off. <laughs> <laughs> the trending <laughs> topics on Twitter what could possibly surpass this and then they released the trailer for Cats and do you know what though yeah can we Can we? there's an upside here is right? there yes there is because since 2015-16 Twitter has been a dumpster fire hasn't it I mean it's been yeah. full of Nazis and, and weirdos yeah. and, and terrifying consequences for the real world yeah but just for a moment last night, <laughs> Twitter united as once we did, it did yeah. to mock something stupid. Last night was probably the best night on Twitter <laughs> since the David Cameron pig thing, yes. which was a glorious, <laughs> glorious night. And I won't go into details about oh, that. Uh, I don't want to make a pig's ear of the whole th- situation. It was a pig's mouth, wasn't it? It was a pig's mouth. <laughs> yeah, That's right. They, he wishes um, it was an ear. Yeah. yeah. He turned a silk person to a sow's ear that night. That's that he sure. did. Anyway... The whole world on social media was united and spoke with one voice to decry <laughs> the abomination that I feel like we're, I feel really harsh, like like we're cat shaming. No. It's so tough because in case you don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> can you not know? It's like, We've talked about this in the podcast before and I, I do feel bad about this because, mm, okay. Uh, yeah, Kevin Lahane said it very well in a tweet this morning. Yeah. He said, look, you know, 
an enormous amount of work goes into Huge. getting any film made. <laughs> Huge amount enormous of work. Enormous numbers of very talented people. Lovely people. Devote themselves. Mean well. They mean well. And very yet, talented. Very talented. Despite their best efforts. <laughs> <laughs> this happens. <laughs> You know how they delayed the release of Sonic the Hedgehog to get the look right? Yes. I know. The meme where Sonic's looking on disgusted at the Cats trailer <laughs> yeah. is perhaps my favourite. Did they specify in the trailer? I can't remember. I've only seen it 47 times. Uh, have they <laughs> specified Christmas 2019? Because they might need another year, yeah. two, five, ten, maybe. <laughs> just to, to like push it back a little bit just oh, to get it right. God. So this is the feature film adaptation of Cats, which is... <laughs> A West End Broadway musical smash hit. Terrible. By Andrew Lloyd Webber. And is this a Tim Rice, Andrew Lloyd Webber thingy, or is it someone else? I mean, it's T.S. Eliot, obviously, wrote the poems, but I yeah. honestly don't remember if and the somebody else could T.S. in this case could stand for anything. <laughs> I wouldn't like to speculate. Terribly shocking, terrifyingly shit. Who knows? Who knows? Mm. But that noise you can hear is T.S. Eliot revolving in his grave at, at speeds that would put your average industrial strength washer to shame. Uh, so this is this is Cats. And since Cats was announced, Helen and I have had the misfortune to actually see Cats <laughs> in the flesh in the West End. Yeah. Uh, I saw it with Nicole Scherzinger. Did you Me see too, it? Me yeah. too, Okay, yeah. there you go. She was, she was good. Very good. Grisabella yeah. yep. has the one good song, Memory. Yep. Belted it out. Really Very did. Nice. Isn't big, in the rest of the show. Voice. No. Awful play. Yeah. Dreadful. Nothing. Would have left... Really After about to. ten minutes, mm. had it not been for the promise of Nicole Scherzinger and singing and singing memory, yeah, but dreadful, dreadful, dreadful. And then Tom Hooper came on board and said, "I'm going to make this movie," mm. and with an all-star <laughs> cast. I mean, an all-star cast. All stars, all stars. I think all the stars: Judy Dench, Ian McKellen, Idris Elba, Taylor Swift, Jennifer Taylor Swift. Hudson. James there Corden, there okay. is that Rebel moment. Wilson, <laughs> Rebel mean, Wilson, Jason Derulo making his big screen debut as a man poking his head through a door. You do feel a bit like you want to put your arm around Idris and be like, Idris, Idris, mate, we, we, need, we need to talk. Because I mean, like Judy Dench, oh, I get it, Judy Dench has a sense of humour. She was in the fucking Chronicles of Riddick, do you know what I mean? Yeah. She can have some fun. But I feel like in some way they must have tricked Idris. And from that, from that featurette, <laughs> it sounded like she was at one point set to appear in it in the West End and then like broke her leg or something mm. and so this is kind of scratching an itch I believe that yeah. is correct yes yeah. and Elaine Page took over as far as well I that never recall. worked out we never heard from her again did no, we no we didn't um, she's wonderful yeah she's great my, my favourite thing did you see the person who uh, re-edited this to the Us version of I've Got Five on it yeah, no I was too busy watching it 47 times it's inspired a, inspired yeah yes. and it works and very deeply well. sinister also um, Ollie Richards sometimes of this parish has done a, an examination of the size of the cats in comparison to various props in the scene you yeah. know here is the size of a knife it is 22 centimeters she is holding it and it looks this big here she is next to trafalgar squares lions mm-hmm. which are six meters 70 centimeters mm-hmm. tall mm-hmm. and they look this big mm-hmm. there is no consistency in mm. the size of the cats in this trailer yeah it's just one of the many things they haven't thought so through so many it seems, things I feel I do feel bad kicking a film before it's released every day is Christmas Eve here at Empire unless of course it's the Eve before the Christmas when fucking Cats is released <laughs> in which case run as far and as fast as you can it's in the opposite Devil's direction night. but ever since this was announced I've had a feeling in my bones of, of, of trepidation Helen I, mm. I, I've, I'm scared quite frankly yes. and we all, we all wondered Tom Hooper, he's a good director. He has an Oscar. He does. Uh, it, you know, he won it for the King's Speech. He's directed big screen musicals. You were singing Les Miserables earlier on, Jimbo. Was. Uh, so he, you know, he's just directed... a day ending in Y. Then <laughs> 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 he's got that under his belt. Uh, in a good cast, but we were all a little bit worried about exactly how he would bring 
Andrew Lloyd Webber's vision to life? <laughs> and the answer seems to be via the prism of 1980s video game cutscenes. It, it's, it's, it doesn't look good, does it? It's, it's weird. And I know, look, in trailers, we're going to see CG that isn't entirely finished, okay? This doesn't look like it's entirely started. Well, yeah, basically that. I mean, it just looks like... it. I mean, there are memes of, you know, faces pasted on to animals online. Those Nick Cage's cats, they are about on a level with this. And... And I'm so I'm hoping for for more. But you know, as several people pointed out, you know, we we were complaining and we will complain a little bit later about the lack of expression on the on the feline faces mm. in the Lion King. Well, here is the antidote. Is the antidote? I don't know, guys. I'm not feline in it. Oh, I'm just I'm not. But this is this is the perfect almost conjunction of unfortunate events, as Lemony Snicket might have said. Mm. Uh, it, it's just like so. You've got a terrible musical. With so largely I mean, terrible, terrible so songs, yes. with a terrible story, and the only thing they've got going is they can say, "Oh well, we can use CGI to make these costumes great," and yet somehow yeah. this one thing it's has gone terrible. so horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. And it's not that the the technology used for the CGI is somehow bad; it's that it's just so upsetting. Like it's there's there's it's not quite uncanny valley because that's not what it is. It's just wrong. There's a deep seated wrongness. Are you worried by the sexy cat bums? It, I mean, the fact that the cat's tail seems to be coming out of its anus, is, it's a whole other thing. But the faces and the expression and the human teeth, dear God, Helen, they've got human teeth. Yeah, and yeah, it's weird. And they they didn't want to lose the boobs because they wanted them to be but sexy. But they didn't give but they them eight boobs, which they should have done. Yeah, it's very strange. And most of the women seem to be in cat terms naked and most yes. of the men seem to be in cat yes. terms clothed. Uh-huh. Right, yeah. Why? Yeah, I don't understand. There's so many things about this film to not understand. There's so and many. That is just one of them. Someone wrote in. Uh, sorry, I can't find your name. It was on Twitter today. Someone wrote in saying, "Are you going to discuss this on the pod?" And, are, and and it seems like a good jumping off point to discuss films that look so bad you cannot wait to see them. And he listed The Room and Birdemic as two examples. <laughs> now, usually I don't like that sort of stuff. I've mm. never seen The Room. I've never seen Birdemic, and I will never see those films because I don't really usually take a pleasure in bad films mm. in films being so bad that they're good that sort of thing but also I think it's a, it's a case of expectations right so I think it's actually a, people will say we're being very very mean right now and we are being very very mean along with the entire internet but <laughs> when you are Tommy Wiseau or the the people who made Birdemic yeah. and you don't have a lot of resources and you don't have a lot of talent and you're perhaps your ideas are slightly misconceived, but you've got a lot of chutzpah and a lot of passion. You get your movie to the big screen. That's go with God. I, I'm yeah. absolutely happy for you to do that. When it is something this lavish with this many people who should know better, that is when I think it's okay to poke fun and have a little bit of yeah. a bit of a laugh with it uh, on the proviso that this could be good, and we we still it could don't be good. know. We and we we have seen bad trailers before, and people were unconvinced by Avatar trailers. This could be the. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> 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 okay, I can't go that far. But <laughs> it's the new Avatar. You heard it here first. <laughs> it could be genuinely. This could this could be. be great. The biggest film of all time. This could surprise Avatar with people going back again and again and again. <laughs> Saying mainly, what the fuck did I just see? Talking of cat people, there is a sense that had they used Navi, it would have been less upsetting than what they ultimately had. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Had they used actors with cats stapled to their faces, it would have been (laughs) less uncomfortable than what they've actually done. (laughs) To be honest, though, the weird thing about all this is the trailer has kind of worked. 
like a whole lot of people. I mean, it's trending. Are now very, <laughs> oh, it's trending. Are now very, very invested in seeing cats. They I, want to know. Yeah. We all want to know what we're in for. I mean, I can't wait to see this. I can't wait for us all to see this. <laughs> we will all go together. We will all hold hands. But I, yeah, think, I, think I think maybe this to. is it. Maybe this is actually a watershed moment. Maybe we should bring Republicans and Democrats to a screening. Maybe the EU and the Brexit party should come and we will all join hands and unite in our distaste for this single unifying thing. This is the saviour we've all been it waiting is. for. It is. The world is fixed by cats. You know how by and large... Human history has been divided into two distinct time frames, BC mm-hmm. and AD. Yeah, and we are currently BC in, and AC. I think that we should bring back BC, but we're no longer living in two thousand and nineteen, the year of our Lord Anno Domini, all that stuff. We are now living in zero BC. Yeah, wow. Before cats. That's exciting. It is exciting. It's very exciting. I'm excited. This December, our saviour arrives. That's wrong. Ian McKellen pretending to be a cat. Yeah. He looks like he's having fun. Judy Dench looks like she's having fun. Listen, I'm sure they were all made assurances. Judy Dench is a cat wearing a fur coat. There are so many ethical Mm. issues there, I don't even know where to start. so (laughs) So is Grizabella. And like, she's kind of... Purr, right? That's the whole point. She's like purr, purr and Helen, put upon. Purr, that purr, purr. purr and put upon. <laughs> and, um, and yet in a fur coat, I, I feel like that reads strangely. It's a very strange it's digital event. fur technology. Cutting edge. But you have never why? seen anything like this. Is it though? You have never seen anything I like this. I have not seen anything like this. This is, this is true. No I was one thinking about this has on, seen anything like this. I was thinking about this on the way in to, to work this morning. You know... In Event Horizon, when the original crew go mad <laughs> and rip out their, their eyes, yeah. is it possible they just watch the cats trader on the loop? Is this, <laughs> have we finally discovered what happened to the crew of the Event oh, Horizon? Oh my goodness, I think you might have done. Liberati Save us all from, from cats. cats. <laughs> <laughs> it's Liberati. It's like, no, that's not what they said. It's Liberati Tutame ex Felix. That's not far off. Yeah. I did a little Google Translate this morning. Yeah. Felis. Ex in fairness, isn't it? Yeah. Ex in fairness. But yeah. But uh, anyway. Cats is out of Christmas and we're all looking very much forward to it. And every day is Christmas Eve here at Empire. Yay. Right. Let's talk about The Lion King now. It is time to talk about the the movies that are out this week. And we don't have a lot of time yet. And I can see people outside the door waiting to kick us out already. So that's going to be a lot of fun. So this is obviously the... I can't even say live action. I'm sorry. It's, it's not the live remake. Action. No, it's, it's another remake. animated. It's another mm. animated. It's a it's a more photorealistically animated version of the 1994 classic. Um, it is the story of an, a lion cub called Simba, his king of the beasts dad Mufasa, who's voiced again by James Earl Jones for the same reason that you don't paint over the Mona Lisa, <laughs> and his conniving uncle Scar, voiced this time by Chiwetel Ejiofor. Uh, so, you know, you know what happens. I'm not even going to discuss the plot anymore. Uh, in terms of animation, in terms of technology, in terms of the care and attention to detail that has been lavished on this film, it is astonishing. There is one shot where I wasn't entirely convinced by some bubbles on the water. That's literally the only criticism I have to make of the look of this I film. walked out after that shot. Well, I was I mean, furious. Yeah, I know. Um, but apart from that, I'll walk back in again. It's just not as good as the original. And the reason the reason it isn't not as good as the original is not because anybody hasn't paid attention to it. It's not because they didn't get a great voice cast because they really did. 
It's just the same thing over again. There's nothing particularly new. There are some new scenes, so it's longer. Some scenes are given more time to breathe that they didn't really need, maybe. And um, and it's the same thing that we get with all of these quote-unquote live-action remakes of Disney classics, which is where you're adding visual noise to a picture. It didn't need it. With those clean lines and that 2D animation, it told the story. We don't actually need this film. It doesn't have a reason to exist. Do we need any film, Helen? Does any film, we other need... than Tom Hooper's Cats, <laughs> have we a reason cats. to exist? We need cats. We need so many films. What if, if James might be onto something here. What if Tom Hooper's a genius? He's well ahead of the game and Cats is the thing that will save us from Brexit. It's, it's what's going to happen. Look, if Cats saves us from Brexit, then you and I will personally apologise. Personally. Personally apologise to... Tom Hooper, okay? Mm -hmm. We will do that. We will find him. We will stalk him and personally apologise for ever doubting his film. Go one step further. Find Andrew Lloyd Webber as well. Personally apologise to him. Oh, I don't know if I want to do that. (laughs) Anyway, let's get back to the Lion King. Lion King. Lion King. So um, that extra time and that extra room means that all of the Shakespearean stuff at the beginning is even longer and, and kind of darker and kind of more wearing. And then you get to... Timon and Pumbaa, and you're, it's such a relief. Billy Eichner and Seth Rogen are fantastic in these roles, genuinely great, mm-hmm. and give it something new and something a little bit different. And it's like, oh, thank God, there's some pace and some humour and some fun in this family film. Um, and then we have to get back to, you know, politicking, and it's all a bit grim and dark again. But James Corden is a giant cat. I just want to get back to that for a second. Because, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, Why? What, what, what is it? And, and why? I mean, again, I don't know, but that is a different film to the one we're discussing. Oh, Chris, right. Just to put your Lion mind King. at rest. Lion uh, King. Yeah. Sorry, Helen. Yeah, so th- luckily we don't have James Corden as Giant Cat. We have Beyonce, Donald Glover, Chiwetel Ejiofor is mentioned, James Arnold Jones is mentioned. I have a question. Yes. Mm-hmm. What was Scar's name before his accident? I've always wondered that as well. <laughs> it it kind of seems like he's really genuinely unloved. Eric. Yeah. Was it an accident or was it the previous challenge to Mufasa? I think that's very much the that's very much the the subtext, I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Eric. Eric the cat. Mufasa yeah. did it. Yeah. Um Florence Kasumba is the leader mm-hmm. of the hyenas. They're oh, proper scary and really I mean hyenas are really ugly, right? They are, so yeah. they actually benefited from Disney animating them in 2D because they looked less hideous. And and these are real looking hyenas and they're so super hideous and you just don't want to look at them on screen. Jellical hyenas. Jellical hyenas. Mm. So anyway, um, I mean, it's still the Lion King, so there's only so bad it can get. It's not bad, in other words. I don't think it's bad. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. But I, it's mm. just not as good as the original. And I watched this uh, a second time at the premiere. Hi, I'm very fancy. I was in a different cinema to Beyonce and yeah. <laughs> the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. But anyway, um, but I went to the premiere and watched it. And I also watched it before and after that on the same day for pieces we were doing for the magazine. I watched the original cartoon and it, I'm sorry, it's just better. It's just better. And I love you, John Favreau, and I would like you very much to cook for me, but I cannot give this more than three stars. Well, wow. there you go. Scathing. Be prepared, as they say. <laughs> Be prepared. Do you um, know what? I, I totally didn't remember that song and I thought it was a new song. <laughs> really? Yeah. I, I sat down and rewatched the cartoon afterwards. I had no memory of that whatsoever. Everybody acts like it's their best villain song and I'm like, I've never heard this before in my life, except I had no, many it's times. A, it's a good song. And I think uh, Chiwetel Chewy pulls it off very nicely. Mm. If you ask me, which you didn't, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, but yeah, Taylor Swift making her... Yeah. I guess, I, I, is she making her big screen debut in this? I think someone corrected me in on this one. So I think she's been in other movies as well. But I just... Why? Oh, the Lion King. Sorry, the Lion King. The, Lion King. About the Lion King. Beyonce, of course, Beyonce. As, as Nala. 
yeah. is, is what yeah. you're thinking of. She, what, she sings yeah. a new song. It's called Spirit. It's there in the movie. Yeah. It is. It is. It, it will probably be nominated for an Oscar, which is presumably the whole reason why they, they yeah. made it in the first place. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I have a complicated relationship with this movie. It's interesting because I spoke to Favreau about this, as you just heard, and I asked him why this <laughs> clings so closely to the original, the template set down by the original, and he gave a very long and detailed and in-depth answer about how he feels that most audiences will have grown up with The Lion King, whether it's a stage show or whether it's the animated film, mm. and they won't necessarily want something different. But it looks different. It looks amazing. I mean, it's, mm. it's a phenomenal work of art in, in a weird way. Yes, it is divested of the natural colours and the uh, exaggeration and the exuberance of an animated movie, but it looks incredible. Mm. And that's what, he, that's what he was going for. He said he wanted to make something that looks like an Attenborough documentary. So... Job yeah. done. Genuinely, there were a couple of moments I thought they've they've filmed some lions. Yeah. That's what they've yeah. done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it is it is stunning that way. I did spend the first ten minutes mm. expecting Attenborough to start narrating at any yeah. moment, and and really, I think they should have considered that. They Simba should've. ascends to the top of Pride Rock. Exactly. Precisely. Some, oh. So good. Where is he from? This... Oh shush. <laughs> is he is, is he a Top Gear presenter? <laughs> What's he doing? Simba. Yes. So I liked the film. I, I had a good time with it. Um, but I, yeah, I do worry that it's not, it's not one that really lives long in the memory. And I wish that Favreau had maybe memory. Did you say memory? Memory? Oh. Memory? Uh, had applied maybe more of himself to the film uh, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you that, can that you can get fine. that. Some, you get yeah. him sometimes in the in the Timon and Pumbaa scenes. You know, yeah. it feels like there's a bit more looseness, a bit of his facility with comedy and more of a sense of authorship is what I would yeah, have liked. Yeah, um, but but not enough of it. You need more yeah. of them. But, so, um, yeah, it, we give it three stars. And fine. I think that's fair. And I think, you know, this is some people's first exposure to The Lion King. They're going to love it. Uh, if you're a massive fan of the, of the animated film or you've seen the stage show a couple of times, then maybe you'll have a slightly more lukewarm reaction to this. And it's certainly interesting, but I think the best of these Disney live-action adaptations uh, so far have been the ones that take more of a risk. Yeah. Like, weirdly enough, The Jungle Book. Yes. Uh, or even Dumbo, which I which I mm. like a lot, and I know you guys don't. And Cinderella. And Cinderella, yeah. But the the ones that are maybe yeah. a little bit more slavish to the to the old template are less successful, mm. I would say. I but agree. Uh, it's very interesting to see where this is going to go in the future. So three stars then for the Lion King, and then just very very quickly we have Farda by Agnes, which is uh, the last film from yeah. Agnes Farda. Yeah, I think people, even though she made it at, what, 91, people actually thought, yeah, I mean, last film, but will it be? She'll probably keep going because she seemed like she would, but sadly, illness got the better of her. But this is essentially an odd documentary about her own career and her own life. And it's a sort of, there are lots of clips from lectures and talks that she's given, um, clips of interviews, clips of her talking to former co-stars, clips from her films as well with her putting them in context. So it's really fascinating because she's a delightful person. She she was just really funny and and kind of self-deprecating and, and quite dry and witty. Uh, she looks like a Miyazaki character to me, which I really can't get over, certainly in, in late life. And it's very, I don't know, it's very likable. Just it's mm. if you're in, at all interested in her, it's a, not a bad starting point. So this is actually the second uh, sort of documentary biopic that she's done uh, following up The Beaches of Agnes in 2008. So that one I think is probably more essential um, but this kind of fills in some gaps and, and obviously goes a little bit later over into her career. So um, you could watch them both together. But yeah, no, it's just very likeable and it's a good tribute to her and if you don't know much about her work, it's it's not a bad place to start at all. So yeah, we gave that four stars. 
Yes, indeed. Four stars then for Farda by Agnes. And now we move on to Tom Hooper's Cats, which <laughs> is interesting. I didn't think it was coming out until Christmas. <laughs> no. What do we think? No? No. 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 Not yet? Not. not yet. Next week? Sadly not, No. Mm. But you said every day is Christmas Eve. <laughs> Why isn't Cats here now? Uh, last but not least, we have Tell It to the Bees, continuing the animal theme that has run... <laughs> Subtly throughout this week's episode. Yeah, extraordinary. So this is the biopic of Watford Football Club, <laughs> otherwise known as the Bees. No, and they're not. Are they not? No. Who are the Bees? The Bees are Brentford. So what you're saying is that my attempt at a football gag there just fell flat on its face because yes. I don't know. Why do you think they were called the Bees? I don't know. Why did I think it was Watford? Anyway, doesn't matter. It's they're not about any of those things. This is Annabelle <laughs> Jankel's film. She they're of Super Mario Brothers fame, lest we forget. And she directs this film set in 1950s Scotland uh, about a single mother who has been abandoned by her husband, who is, I think it's fair to say, an absolute bellend, and ends up going to live with a... She's played by Holiday Granger, and she goes to live with a local doctor played by Anna Paquin, and they strike up an affair, which, it turns out, in 1950s sort of small-town Scotland, is rather frowned upon. Um, this This is one of those slightly odd films where... It should have been a lot better than it is, I think, where the performances, Holiday Granger is fantastic in it, and a Paquin is amazing in this. Uh, and yet it has all the subtlety of like a bee sting to the face. Like there's a, there's a whole sequence in it where they have this thing, so it's called Tell It to the Bees because uh, the little boy who is her son uh, is told to tell his problems, his issues, his concerns to these, this beehive that the doctor keeps. Uh, and he talks to the bees and they will apparently keep his secrets, largely because they can't speak. But, but there's even a bit where he's like, oh, is this a, a boy? bee or a girl bee and she's like well most of the bees you'll encounter will all be girls it's like I always see this as a film about lesbians right I get it uh, and it, it is it is like that like it's 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 an interesting film there's some really harrowing stuff in it mm. like really harrowing there's a particular medical procedure scene which is one of the most shocking things I've seen in a very long time and it really kind of affected how I kind of survived the rest of the film but <laughs> But I think the problem with this is there's not enough subtext. It's all just text. It's all very surface level. They don't really delve too much into them. It becomes an interesting sort of film to spend with these two women uh, and to enjoy their performances. But there's just not enough substance to it, I would say. Subtext yeah. is for cowards. That's right. It's no cats, is really what I'm saying. Oh, my oh gosh. We're talking about cats. Yes. No. Uh, I mean, look, we gave this two stars, which might be a touch harsh. It's kind of hovering between a two and a three, I think. But, yeah, it's... Not the best. Not the best. Not the Two best. stars then for Tell It to the Bees. Tell It to the Bees, leave it to the bees. Leave it to the bees. Uh, not, of course, to be confused with Watford Football Club. That is the Hornets, James. Oh, they're the Hornets. Hornets. Yes. What, Watford are Hornets and I Brentford are bees. Brentford are the bees. So it's the wrong sort of genus yeah. of insect. Uh, I don't think anyone's the wasps, apart from no the wasps, the wasps uh, football rugby club. Okay. Yeah. Hornets. Very exciting. Damn it. All right. Well, that is it for this exciting, action-packed episode of the Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun when we'll be joined by... Nick Frost. Ooh, exciting. Star of Horrible Histories, the movie. Ooh. Ah. Ah. Very, very much looking forward to that. Right, until we meet again, until the auspicious occasion, it is goodbye from James Dyer. Meow. (laughs) German meow. It is goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Why wasn't Mr. Bigglesworth in in Cats? Oh, that would have been so good. (laughs) Well, it would have been about the same, let's be honest. (laughs) Mr. Bigglesworth, I would venture, is less terrifying than than, than any of the images we've seen in Cats. Uh, It's goodbye from Helen O'Hara. Goodbye. 
And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to the good ship of Event Horizon to watch the Treader for Cats <laughs> on a loop over and over and over again until I pluck mine eyes from mine head. Do you see? Where we're we going. See? We won't need eyes to see the trailer for cats. Cats is just a word. <laughs> the reality <laughs> is much, much worse. <laughs> uh, you jellical cats. Don't you say? Bye. Bye.